This week's episode of the Jones Report is presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. We want to be your partner. OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com for the best financial planning around with O'Connor Advisory Group's own Brian O'Connor. You can reach out to Bo at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Fox NASCAR broadcaster Adam Alexander is here with us as he will preview the Daytona 500 as well as the 2024 NASCAR Cup Series season. We'll get his insights on everything in the world of NASCAR when he joins us coming up in just a bit or uh, annual chat that we do with Double A uh, at the at this time of year every year. I am not in Daytona this go round though, but uh, always good to still chat with Double A, and uh, it should be a great chat when he joins us coming up just a little while from right now. Coach Bo is here with the football fix, and uh, we'll get his reaction to the Super Bowl and the Chiefs win over the San Francisco 49ers. We'll have our Big 12 breakdown. We'll talk some Big 12 hoops coming up later on. Uh, and uh, we'll have Tom Fullery at the end of today's show as well. Thomas Bridges is here with me. And, and Tom, I got to start off just right off the top. I mean, wasn't that just incredible what we witnessed on Sunday? Mahomes and Andy and Kelsey get their third Super Bowl title back-to-back. First team to do it in 20 years since the Patriots. And the way that game unfolded, I mean, I was on the edge of my seat. It was a slow first half. The Niners blow a 10-point lead, and Mahomes and company find a way. I mean, you go back to that overtime, and when Patrick Mahomes got the ball in that overtime, I think everybody knew what was going to happen. Even when it got to fourth and one, it was like, Patrick Mahomes is going to find a way to win this game, get it done, like – I, I, I'm still in awe. I know that we're a few days past this game, Tom, but it, it still feels surreal of what we witnessed of the, the the best quarterback of our generation finding a way to get it done again. Uh, I, I was I was thrilled. I, I'm still on cloud nine right now, Tom. Yeah, you know when they say, you know, have you ever seen those Cialis commercials or the Viagra commercials? They say if you you know if you have an erection lasting longer than four hours, you need to go to the hospital. <laughs> oh God, where are you going with this? You uh, you still have a sports boner? Do you need to go to the ER and get it drained? Oh, I I, I got a big sports boner, and and I'm loving it. <laughs> uh, we I, did I, we did know what I knew exactly. As soon as Mahomes got the ball, they kicked the field goal. I was like, well, here we go. Mahomes has got the ball. He's going to go down and score. Uh, like, even when they got to fourth and one, didn't you feel like they're going to convert here? Yeah, I was a little, I was still, I kind of hold my breath a little bit. I was like, oh, let's see what receiver ends up dropping the ball. And then he, you know, converts it himself. But, um, you know, I, I thought, I did think at the last plays, I thought they ran it pretty close to the end, like seconds time-wise. I thought it got pretty close where I was like, you have two timeouts. So that was a confusing thing that Romo and Nance didn't explain well on TV was that, the clock didn't matter at all, actually. It would have just gone into basically another quarter. It would have... Oh, really? Yes. It would have been second overtime and carried over as if it was like first to second quarter. But they didn't explain that. And so 
I think the Niners didn't even know that, Tom, because they took their time and were trying to wear out the Chiefs and use up the clock on that first possession. I don't think they were even aware that the clock was a non-factor. See, I figured that, you know, because they took the Niners took so much time going down to just kick the field goal. And then, I mean, the Chiefs, it took them a while to get down to field too, but you know, they got down there and I thought, oh man, what if the clock runs out? Do they just lose by three? Is it just one overtime period? Right. But it would have, so it could have just kept, you know, I guess if they would have kicked the field goal, then the next score would have won. It would have been sudden death if the Chiefs would have kicked it, which made sense to me. But I figured if, if the OT period ran out, I didn't know that it would go to another OT period. Right. It would have just picked up like it was going from first to second quarter. So, not that, like, so that's weird that they even had a clock. Then. That's what I was thinking, too. Like, what's the point of the damn clock then? Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. I didn't see. I didn't know that because I was watching. I was like, I was thinking if, oh, shit, if they don't get it here, they might run out of time. Right. Yeah. I mean, because it was what, third down or second down? Yeah. Uh, when they finally got that touchdown. And there was only like nine seconds when they snapped the ball. So, yeah. yeah I was like, well, you know, I didn't know. I was like, uh-oh. Because I thought, I was like, are they going to, like, if they don't get it here, are they going to just have to, you know, take take the field goal to be right. safe? I didn't know. Right. And so now the, the Chiefs get this done. And, Tom, I look at things right now and just – looking back on that of, of what we witnessed here's now Andy Reed with three Super Bowls and not to mention he was a very good coach and had success prior to Patrick Mahomes with Alex Smith in Kansas City and Donovan McNabb and Michael Vick and hell Kevin Cobb in uh in Philly and I mean you have to talk about Andy as one of the greatest coaches in the game now if you didn't already he's got to be at least top five, maybe even top two or three. And then you look at Patrick Mahomes. He's the most talented quarterback I've ever seen. He's not the most accomplished. That's still Tom Brady. Tom's still the GOAT, but, I mean, I I don't know how you can't include Mahomes as a top two or three quarterback of all time ever, and and he might end up being the best that has ever done it when it's all said and done. And Travis Kelsey, I've said for a while now, is the best tight end we've ever seen here. I mean, we are – I understand that people may get sick of a dynasty, and that's that's what this is. And, you know, how how infuriating that could be when you think that you have the team that, hey, everything's there, but the Kansas City Chiefs stand in your way. I get that. But I think we have to take a second, Tom, just to appreciate the greatness that we are seeing from this Kansas City Chiefs team and this dynasty that's now uh, here upon us here. Uh, this is really something special. I mean, I, I am, I, I, I'm just in awe of what, what what's going on with this this Kansas City Chiefs team and the, this run they're on right now. I mean, Mahomes has two postseason losses. That's it, and, and even this year too. Think about this, Tom. This was supposed to be the worst Chiefs team of the Mahomes era. They had to go on the road, win at Buffalo, win at Baltimore and then beat a very good Niners team. They still got it done. I mean, just absolutely incredible. I mean, yeah, you can't, you know, 
they they definitely deserve their flowers for sure. I mean, you know, we did talk about it though. I mean, I mentioned it what last week on the show. It just seems kind of like the KU basketball team somehow finds a way. Um, you know, kind of like they sold like Andy Andy Reid must have sold his soul to the devil. They just somehow find a way. Um, I mean, it, it's it's baffling. Um, be interested to see too what they do next year. I mean, they could only get better depending on what they do at the receiver position. I think Rice is going to only get better. Um, I don't think really you'll see a drop off from Kelsey that much, if at all. Um, and the, I, I thought, and I, I said this too last week, I thought the defense would step up and be phenomenal. And I, I thought the defense was great. I, and, you know, and I don't, I don't think they picked off Brock Purdy. No, they didn't. But, you know, Mahomes got picked off once, but uh, I even read just about, you know, what Niners fans are saying just on the Reddit because I wanted to enjoy the 49ers tears. I was drinking 49ers tears, you know, this whole week I've been drinking San Francisco tears. Um, oh, but Delicious. They, yeah, it's refreshing. Um, That's the sports so been, right there, yeah. I've been, yeah, I've been, I've been drinking their tears this week, and they were saying how good the – the defensive backs were for Kansas city and like that every play, um, you know, Chris Jones in that line was making Brock for to get it off fast, but the DBs were covering so well that, you know, every play they had kind of had a hand on the receiver or they were right there to either make the stop or deflect the pass yeah, or to change the directory of the throw. So McDuffie uh, and Sneed were just incredible. And, and Oh yeah. Don't think about this too. I mean, that wasn't an easy matchup for them to go up against Ayuk and Debo and Kittle. I mean, Jawan Jennings, if the Niners win that game, Jawan Jennings would have been the MVP probably. Um, you know, and Christian McCaffrey had a decent day too. For them to shut down the Niners the way that they did, I mean, it, it was impressive. And, and think about this. Like, Tom, you, you and I have been complimentary to – Brock Purdy. And I think Brock Purdy has had a really good first two years in the league. But the reality is, as good as Brock Purdy has been and surpassed expectations by a lot, he's still not Patrick Mahomes. And, and we said this going into this game. I mean, are you really taking Brock Purdy or are you taking Patrick Mahomes here? And, you know, if if Patrick Mahomes is quarterbacking for the San Francisco 49ers, they probably win by two touchdowns. If you switch teams, switch quarterbacks on, on, on the two sides here. Mahomes is that much of a difference maker and makes up that much of the gap. I thought Brock played very well. And, and you know, no, I'm not here to knock Brock at all. But I, I think that was a big difference that 15 was on their side and they just had Brock Purdy on the other. Oh, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, if if um, you know, if it wouldn't be fair if if you know Mahomes had Debo and Ayuk, and I don't know, you you take Kelsey over Kittle, but Kittle's still good in his own right. I don't want to take anything away from Kittle, but um, you know, I even seen drinking the Forty ers tears. I saw how a lot of them complained on how how that offensive line for San Francisco was not very good, and I'm like. Okay, 49er fans, you can bitch all you want. Like, how much help does Brock Purdy need? Like, 
you have all these other weapons. You've done good all year. It's not like the, the Chiefs are a good defense, but it's not like they're just some – this isn't the steel curtain. This isn't the purple pe- – or not the, the iron curtain, or this isn't the purple people eaters. This isn't like an all-time defense. Uh, it's a pretty good defense, but not like an all-time world-beater defense. Like, how much help does your, you know, your little Iowa State quarterback you guys have been jacking off all season, how much help does he need? And you had like, a 10-point lead in the second half. They didn't have enough stamina, obviously, in the <laughs> second half. Um, you know, I think I think as, as much as he's not a great head coach, Steve Spaggs, uh had a game plan of his life. Yeah. Now he's inserting himself into the conversation as one of the best D coordinators we've ever seen. I mean, uh, yeah, he did he did it in New York with the Giants. Now he's doing it with the Chiefs. Right. And to think this is the same guy too that was the D coordinator of one of the worst defenses of all time in New Orleans. And one of the worst head coaches of all time in St. Louis. Yeah. And Not how, as bad as Scott Linehan, but still pretty bad. Oh, Lord. Just how quickly things have changed. I, I was happy for Spags and, and you know, all the hoopla about the Chiefs, Tom. Like, you know, obviously there's a lot of attention about Taylor Swift and the publicity this team has, has taken. And, and now being, you know, on the world stage, right? I mean, Patrick Mahomes – belongs in the same breath of the LeBron Jameses, the Michael Jordans, the Roger Federers, the Tiger World, Tiger Woodses of the world. <laughs> and and even with that, like the moment was never too big for this team. That 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 is one of the most impressive things to me is that th- th- this team why they're a championship team, why they have this dynasty, nothing phases this team. Like there, there, there's just no fear there. Yeah, I mean, and I think I think that kind of led them to get to the back to back. You know, um, they just they they play with no fear, and there's the moments not too big. And you know, I, you you mentioned it already that if you know maybe if let's say Mahomes is on this 49ers team, then the 49ers probably win. I think that was obviously the difference. And you know, I don't I don't even say the moment was too big for Brock Purdy. He didn't throw a pick. He didn't fumble. He didn't make a. He, he didn't make some egregious mistake. The the Niners um, beat any other team in the NFL on Sunday night except the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, and you know they escaped to that. Like they finally met their match because they had, had escaped playoff death the prior two weeks. Right. You know, against obviously against Green Bay and against the Lions. Like, you know, arguably they shouldn't even have made it out of the divisional round. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I'm still enjoying I, – I mean, I'm enjoying drinking the 49ers tears like you're enjoying the Chiefs Super Bowl. But, um, you know, and I, and I hate that it all obviously came to head Wednesday and then, you know, that the radio DJ woman with two kids in the blues in her life in the Kansas City Parade. But yes, that, that, that's just uh, – I hate, I hate that. I mean that that's horrible. Yeah. Um. And you know that's just you know this is that's like the childish Gambino. Like this is America. Right. Um. But not to be a Debbie Downer on that, but I mean it just 
you know, obviously Travis Kelsey said, let's, you know, let's now we get a chance to go for three. Uh, you know, if, if they were, I mean, it's obviously too early to say there's a whole off season in front of us and I think only teams are going to get better too, but it's, it's funny that we say teams, yeah, they're going to get better. Well, the chiefs didn't really look that good this season anyway, like right. compared to the previous one. So and that's they, a, they that's might a have point. a shot at three. That's a great point. Um, you know, we'll, we'll say one more thing on this before we move on uh, and, and talk about other things here. Um, but with this being the worst team of the Mahomes era and still winning it, think about next year. They're in a great spot when it comes to cap space. They can still afford to get Chris Jones a new deal, and that's task number one, and he wants to be there. I think he's going to come back. And you still have more money to potentially go get another playmaker. Imagine, Tom, think about this. Another year older of your young talent that are there, another draft class coming in, you re-sign Chris Jones, and let's just say you go spend the money and get, I don't know, uh, Mike Evans, Marquise Brown, something like that, then, I mean, it's just going to feel like it's unfair, and that's what's going to happen. If they they get Mike Evans, it'll be real unfair. I mean, Mahomes to Mike Evans, Mike Evans might might have an 1,800-yard season. Mike Evans, Travis Kelsey – Rasheed Rice, Pacheco, Mahomes, that's game over. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, they they are obviously a real threat to uh, to at least get back to the Super Bowl. I mean, obviously, two times is hard, three times is twice that that level. And I, I mean, obviously, and it's it's weird too. They kind of flew under the radar this year of. They weren't as dominant as like the Eagles came out and won what were eight and one at one point, and the 49ers were pretty dominant all year. Um, the Chiefs kind of flew under the radar of like, yeah, we lose games we shouldn't, we should have won. Like they obviously lost the opening game against the Lions. They right. kind of flew under the radar, and I think that actually ended up helping them out in a way. Obviously, you had the Ravens do what they were able to do all season. They weren't they were never in the conversation for best team during the regular season. It was always, it was always kind of counting them out. Like, yeah, they'll be there, but this is probably not the year. We hadn't seen a team go back to back in 20 years. They were kind of an afterthought. I think that kind of worked out for them. Now I think you have a chance to go to three Pete, which I don't think any team's ever done. Well, the Dallas three Pete, no team has ever three Pete in NFL history. Yeah, so now you're going to have a huge target on your back. I I think next, Tom, the, the two things that this Chiefs dynasty will look to accomplish um, is the three-peat, obviously, number one. But I wouldn't rule out. I'm going out on a limb on this. I wouldn't rule out that at some point in Patrick Mahomes' career, that they find a way to be the first team in NFL history go 17 and 0. Yeah, I mean I don't know. They're I something about them tells me they're not about perfection. They're just about like I said, finding a way. They right. feel more like a find a way team. I would be shocked if they tried to do that, but I think I I, I think uh I think you would might find that if Sean McVay was the coach of the Chiefs that he would be like, let's go 17-0 and win the Super Bowl. 
for me, Andy Reid's like, if we drop one, as long as we get to the Super Bowl, we're in it. Kind of like, I don't care if we're, you know, nine and eight, we get in the playoffs, we can still win the Super Bowl. Right. Andy Reid doesn't take me as a guy that to to put up style points. Yeah. But maybe, you know, if you're if you're in the, the last game of the season before the playoffs and it's either rest your starters and you already have the one seed locked up for the bye and you can go, you can win that last game, Andy Reid might just say, you know what, let's just do it and I'll walk out of here on top. Right. And, and I think Dolphins this bitch. I think Mahomes would step up and say, "We're finishing the job. We're going seventeen and zero here." Like, Travis Kelsey pushes pushes Andy Reid, breaks his hip again. He's just like, "Hey, we're doing this. Don't take me out of this fucking game." You know, I didn't actually hate that from Travis. To be honest, Andy called. I don't a think Andy Reid hated it either. Andy called a bad first half, and somebody needed to get Andy's attention in the same way that you need to get a player's attention when they're underperforming, and it worked. Chiefs won. They, you know, made up. Everything was fine. I'm okay with what happened there. So, nonetheless, uh, more to come. We'll talk about this Super Bowl and get uh, some more insights when Bo joins us and kind of get into the nitty-gritty, the details. What went right for Kansas City? What went wrong for San Francisco, a lot to dissect on San Francisco's front with Kyle Shanahan and uh, firing Steve Wilkes after the Super Bowl and all that. We'll discuss that when uh, Bo joins us coming up later on the football fix uh, here on the Jones Report. I do want to mention, Tom, uh, we do have Adam Alexander coming up in uh, just a little while from right now. And I will say, it is odd to me not being in Daytona. I'm not going to lie. I feel weird not being at Daytona Beach this week. Uh, took the year off from it. I might be back next year, but what a special place. The Daytona 500 coming up this weekend. And, you know, Tom, I, I know you're a casual. You you, you you don't watch every week, you know, like, like I do. But I, I'm I'm excited now. You know, we, we transition to this next portion. It's always sad when football season ends. But now I get to watch, you know, my NASCAR or watch golf, whatever, and have my Sunday afternoon nap and – be casual about it and you know seeing the, the great american race on sunday and and what's all going to transpire there and and, and everything like I, I i'm intrigued just to just to kind of get to enjoy take a little get into off-season mode of some sorts and and uh enjoy this race sunday uh you you you're gonna be tuning in you you can check out what's going on daytona here i don't know that i will i will probably be checking out the all-star weekend for nba this I might check it out this weekend for you only. I know you're ready to put on your little headset and boogity, boogity, boogity. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll be waiting on the the annual uh, boogity, boogity, boogity Tyler Jones tweet. Oh, uh, I, I miss DW. Those were the days. Uh, but, yeah, Daytona is going to be a lot of fun. It, it is – Interesting, Tom, that uh, you go into this. Kevin Harvick just retired, and I feel like all my my childhood guys are gone now. I mean, it's there's no Harvick, there's no Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Dale Jr. Jimmy Johnson made the race. He's still he's going to race, but he's on a part time schedule. You want to talk about weird, Tom, of just the changes in, in, in that sport? Like you do have Jimmy Johnson still around. But he's driving a Toyota, a Toyota 
now, I mean, like, th- th- this this doesn't feel like the sport I grew up with. I- I'm going to be entertained, but it does feel like a, times have, have come and gone now. Yeah, he's got to drive Toyota to make it fair for everybody else. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, I mean all the all the people we grew up watching and and kind of even further on are gone now, and now we get you know the Axe Larsons and watch Denny Hamlin make his continue his run. Like, I, folks listening, I I followed a car home from work today, and if you obviously watch Chat Sports for Jones, he covers the Seahawks. There's this little Mitsubishi Lancer with a big Seahawks sticker on the back. And then it had about four other Denny Hamlin FedEx cars on the back. And I had to text Tyler. I said, are you in San Antonio? Am I following you right now? Is is this your car? I would um, not have guessed, Tom, when you told me this, that it would have been a Mitsubishi. Well, yeah, a Lancer, like a little fucking ricer, a little street racing bitch car. Like, like it would, you know, it wasn't even a truck or anything. It wasn't even a... It wasn't even a respectable vehicle. If okay, if you're going to go to that extent of putting the Denny Hamlin stuff on there, how are you not driving a Toyota, uh, the car that he's driven almost his entire career? Like that's that's got to be a Yoder. I, I mean, yeah, something other than a Mitsubishi, like you know, like and it was I was all beat to hell too, and I was like, who's driving this right now? Like, I'd, I'd be interested to see. Obviously, I've only been here since really the beginning of October. I wonder what the NASCAR, I wonder if the South Texas, Tex-Mex, you know, the South Texan Mexican culture gets down with NASCAR. I mean, you have, oh, what's his name? Who's who's the uh, who's the Latino guy? Oh, Daniel Suarez. Yeah, I wonder if they get down with Suarez down here. I wonder if that's their guy down here. I don't know. I don't know if they even get down with racing here. But I, you know, it's funny too because I would have noticed it. That's the first like NASCAR shit I've seen here, and it it just so happened. Just like I noticed the Seahawk because it was big on the back windshield. But then all these other stickers, I was like, is that a now? I was like, what car is that? And I was like, that's Denny Hamlin. I was like, what? I was like, what? What a combo. Like, I mean, you probably wouldn't have batted an eye if you saw some threes for Dale Sr. or an eight for, for Dale Jr., but Denny Hamlin? Yeah, I was like, what new age? Like, and, and the Seahawks of all teams, you know, not Dallas, not Houston, not, you know, not another, like, not a – Not like the Saints. Yeah, nothing like, you know, I'm like, what is what is going on right here? So, I'd – I'd be interested to see. I mean, you do have the Circuit of Americas in Austin. Right. And Texas Motor Speedway, sure, but that's obviously five hours north, five and a half hours north. I feel but, like, Tom, I, I know that, you know, you you don't have a favorite driver anymore, but I, I feel like if you had to choose one, Denny would be a good fit for you because Denny, he's he's in his 40s now, and he's at that, like, just give give no Fs point in his career where he just says whatever the hell he wants and and yeah i'm not a fan of the cheating on the wife deal um well he's back with her now they're engaged now well yeah i mean if if you know i'd let i'd let my wife cheat on me if she made a shit ton of money too 
<laughs> you know, I mean, like, I'd be like, okay, well, uh, you know, like, okay, I guess, uh, you know, I'm trying um, to think, like, who would I root for? Um, you can't root for Axe Larson. Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't root. I mean, I guess Kyle Bush is done. Isn't Kyle Bush hung it up? No, no, no. Kyle Bush changed teams. He he got let go by Joe Gibbs, and now he's racing for Richard Childers. Yeah, you fuck Kyle Bush, right? Like I can't, I can't root for Kyle. I'd never root for Kyle Bush. I, you know, I kind of like Noah Gregson. Okay, I can I can get down with Noah. You can get I down see, with I, the with I the black rifle. Noah Gregson in the uh, the black rifle coffee car. I mean, yeah, I don't drink black rifle coffee, but you know, I mean, I can. I, I kind of like him. Your you know your cousin Eric Jones. I seen made the leap up back uh, when we first saw him. He was racing trucks. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny with uh, with Gregson. I don't think I'm allowed to like Noah Gregson because of he and David's history. Well, I don't know about their history. What he what happened? Oh, years ago. Um, there was David blew a tire right in front of Noah and caused Noah to crash and lose a race that he was on his way to win. And uh, Noah, you know, threatened to to fight David and it turned into a big feud and and all that. So um, that 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 did not go well. We'll, we'll put it that way. I, I don't think Noah was eating any Whataburger after that. Dang, yeah, I think I have to go for. I mean, obviously, I root for uh, I root for David too. Uh, you know, if he can, if if you know, if he can get up there, I'll root for him however I can. But I think I have to root for Noah, and then you know, being down here, I might have to turn into a Suarez fan. And if if not if not Daniel Suarez, then you know what? Let me go counterculture on the whole deal. Let me take Bubba Wallace. Ooh, okay. I I'd, I'd, I'd rock a twenty three Bubba Wallace. Uh, you know, almost like a NASCAR jersey shirt. Now he does race for MJ. Does that does that help you or no? Just... I'm not a big fan of MJ, but I got. I mean, he gets obviously he's the. I mean, for obvious reasons, odd man out. I I don't I don't mind Austin Dillon. I mean, that man almost died in a car wreck. That was the, that was one of them, and he's in the three car too, like, right. He's. I remember with well, that race. That was at Daytona. That he should have fucking probably died. Honestly. Yeah, it was. That was that was the one of the and I was remember the the one race that I maybe even tune into all year. I was watching when that happened. I thought, oh my god, he's he's dead. Well, that was a race that got delayed. Was at like two o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah, yeah. And then he hit the catch fence, and I was like, yeah, he's dead. There's no way. Yeah. They and then he gets out of it. They were supposed to be showing like Joel Osteen or something. And instead, we saw a man almost die in a race car. <laughs> yeah, like I don't. I still to this day don't know how he got and was, walked out of it. It was the prayers from the Joel Osteen hour that saved. Yeah, all the <laughs> he, yeah. yeah he must. He must have tied like forty percent that week. <laughs> <laughs> because still to this day, that that is that is the. I still, to this day, if he would have been in a, a 90s model NASCAR, we would we would be shouting out, like, R.I.P. Austin Dillon, because still to this day, he, he should not have walked out of that. Now, 
Um, I got to say, Tom, I'm on a bit of a good sports run here with, with the Chiefs, now winning three Super Bowls since 2019. I had my Kansas Jayhawks win the national championship basketball two years ago. And my driver, Ryan Blaney, won the championship uh, last year at NASCAR. So uh, I'm on cloud nine right now. Let's see old Blaney get get a Daytona win this weekend. Yeah, and I think, you know, and he might. I think, um, I and, and you can, you know, we didn't even mention Logano. Uh, I mean, there's still some uh, bigger names, but I, I feel like, you know, and you have Denny Hamlin, bigger name, sure. But, like, was there not, like, are we, I feel like we're in a transition period where, like, we're waiting on guys to step up to become household names. Like, like I don't, like, our, well, there's not as many household names. Like, people know Chase Elliott, but if I'm going to be honest, Chase is boring. Yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of like, uh, what's his name, the golfer where his parents hate him? Uh, his parents hate him. Yeah, who's the golfer? The the parents don't like him. Is it Patrick Reed? No, I forget it. I, he won the Masters. I I I don't want to blend in two sports we don't really talk about that much, but it feels right to do. Who's the guy? He's kind of boring. You said you're coming around to him. Oh, Brooks Kepka. Yeah, he's yeah, <laughs> kind of like the Brooks Kepka. That's a, that's a good comparison. Brooks is starting to come around, though. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember we talked about it. he's starting to come around, and you know we now that football's over, I had to throw in golf there. The Masters is not too far away. I did yeah. see a commercial after the Super Bowl, and I thought, oh, here we go, here we go. I can't wait. I'm excited about the Masters too. So that all should be good. So we're gonna find Tom a favorite driver before the end of the weekend. Sounds like Bubba's the favorite at the moment. Um, I'll go for Noah too. Those are my two. Um, I think I think whoever comes out ahead this weekend, I'll go for. So since he's not here and probably not listening, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this: Not only does David have this feud with with Noah, he can't even say his name right. He always calls him Noah Grayson. <laughs> Noah Grayson. Oh my gosh! Oh, that's, that's pretty funny. Grayson. Yeah, you know, I don't know if, if Daniel Suarez puts on. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to feel it out here in San Antonio. If, if everyone rallies around Suarez, I might have to be a Suarez guy. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, Daytona should be a lot of fun. I, 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 I wish I was there, but the weather doesn't look promising, so maybe not. Um, the bar scene at Daytona. We got to get you down there one of these days, Tom. We got to get to Daytona. Talladega. I haven't been to Bristol yet. We need to, maybe you and I need to go to Bristol, but Daytona, the bar scene, you would appreciate, Tom. Like, you know, the last time you were, didn't they have that little, uh, the boob, the boob cup check, like where you put your titties up in there? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the women go topless at these bars in Daytona. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I like Talladega a little bit more. It's a little bit trashier. Right, I they mean, I, I'll never forget that time we were at the Kansas Speedway and we got there in the morning. It was still chilly. It was May. It was chilly, and this girl had a had a you know like a tank top on, and she had a duck hunting tattoo on her back. And I thought, yes, this must be the place. This is it. Here's this your must, We are we are in the right spot. 
Yeah. Uh, we'll talk more about Daytona 500 when uh, <laughs> Double A joins us right now. It won't sound any like anything like this conversation, but it will be. No. Uh, when Double A joins us coming up in just a little bit. Big 12 breakdown up next. Uh, Tom Fullery later on. Coach Bo going to be here as well. So stay tuned for that. It is the Big 12 breakdown. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges here with you with a comprehensive look around the Big 12 conference with our. Hot takes, football and basketball. We we talk talk it all with the Big Twelve on uh, this portion of the show, and uh, our hot takes this week. Tom, I'll, I'll start this week, and I need maybe a little intervention or a little pick me up because my hot take it might not even necessarily be a hot take, but I'm getting very very close to giving up on this Kansas team. Maybe I need some. Jimmy V inspiration of don't give up, don't ever give up because it's starting to hurt. Like they're losing games that aren't acceptable. Losing by 30 to Texas Tech, you know, I'll say this much. The Chiefs winning saved me because now I don't have to depend on what Kansas does the rest of the year. I I even said, like, no matter what happens against Texas Tech, they cannot hurt me. I will not allow them to hurt me. And I'm starting to give up hope because Bill kind of said it last week uh, that this roster doesn't feel right. And it sounds like there's some regret about Hunter Dickinson and the NIL deal he got and the lack of control Bill has over this team. And maybe they're like the Chiefs and they'll find a way to figure it out and put it all together. But Tom, I'm getting close to a breaking point. That that's that's my take this week. Uh, I, I'm sure you've been there with your teams before. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, there for the longest time, the Rams sucked and the Spurs were really good, and so the Spurs saved me. And then now the Rams have been pretty good and won a Super Bowl in the last you know two years. So, you know, I've been fine with the Spurs sucking, and. You know, Kansas hasn't been that bad. I do think – I don't even – I'll be – I'm gonna. I'm taking a bye week this week because nothing's really going on in football. I think it's kind of set in stone now after this past week that Houston's going to outright win the Big 12. I mean, unless – their first uh, year in the league. They, we couldn't even make them wait till year two. Right. I mean, yeah, that's – I mean, they unless they face, no pun intended, a Big 12 breakdown, collapse – uh Houston's gonna win this. I I you know, and it's been it's been a decent race. We've got two weeks, two and a half weeks left, something like that. Well, I guess you could even say three, maybe. Um, but you know, they're gonna they're gonna do it. I mean, well, you I know do. what Kansas is missing, don't you? They last year they had Grady Dick, and then they went and got another Dick and Son. Now, really what they're missing, they're missing double dick. If they had double dick, then KU might KU might win. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not looking good right now. It, it, they it traded one dick for the other, and it's not as good. Yeah. Hunter Dickinson is a hell of a player, but he's not playing to his full potential. Kevin McCullough's been out the last few games, and I don't know if he's ever going to get healthy and get right again like – this team is – is I'm on my last nerve with this team because the, the frustrating part, I'll say this real quick, Tom, is that 
you know they should be better than what they are. Like, you look at that team, you're like, that should be a top-four team in America. That's the infuriating part is they're not technically a bad team. They're just a very underperforming team. Seven and five in conference play, two games above 500. What the actual hell? Yeah, it's not the Kansas. And then, you know, Big 12's tough, but I'll tell you what, like at the beginning of the season, we, you know, sang all the praise for Hunter Dickinson. And, you know, when Hunter Dickinson was on Michigan, he played a lot like he he was more of a Chet Holmgren. And now he's at Kansas, he's playing like a Drew Timmy. Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's still good, but, you know, not the best guy on the team. All right. Um, well- where are you going with your uh, your hot take this week, Tom? Like I said, I think I'm going to take – I don't really have a hot take this week for you, to be honest. I mean, nothing really going on in the football world. Um, You know, I'm not seeing – well, at least I haven't seen any headlines or anything crazy in the football world. I did see that not one Oklahoma State or Iowa State Cyclone got invited to the NFL Combine. That's disappointing. Um, And then, like I said, like – in in terms of uh you know in terms of of you know Houston running away with it i guess if you wanted a super deep cut hot take i think uh Oklahoma State wrestling comes out and gets back on top um and and finishes off this wrestling season um back on top of the country okay all right uh and that was talking wrestling on the show this week yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's a maybe. A, is that a first? Uh, it might be a first and a last. Uh, on that. Yeah. All right, uh, a couple headlines though I want to touch on here. Let's start in the football uh, realm of things. A former foe of sorts, the University of Texas. They're not officially a former foe yet, but they're about to be. Um, their AD uh, Del Conte had some interesting headlines. A couple things that he said this week. One was that. He says the SEC is moving towards a nine-game conference schedule with the additions of OU and Texas. That was a big headline this offseason was that they were that they ended up staying at eight games. And it was really a TV dispute. They wanted ESPN to pay them money to go to a nine-game schedule. ESPN said no, and they called their bluff. They said, fine, we'll play eight games then. He says that they're headed towards that direction. So Maybe there's some backdoor deals going on where ESPN's coughing up the money or something. But then he also said that they expect the OU Texas game to move to 2.30 Central Time next year. No longer an 11 a.m. game. It should be 2.30 on ABC. I love that. Um, that's arguably the best window of the day. You don't have to wake up at the crack of dawn to go get your corny dog and beer at the Texas State Fair. You can get there, wake up, get there at a reasonable time now. Um, I know there might be some concerns about the safety at the at Fair Park at night of when that game would end and everything. But of those two things uh, from, from Del Conte, Tom, uh, of, that he points out, SEC going to nine games, Red River moving to 230. Uh, I, I, I like both those. I, I, I think that's, that, that's great. It makes a lot of sense on both fronts. Yeah, Red River always being at eleven was silly to me. Uh, I thought it always should be every every time it's a two thirty kick, which it's been maybe in the last fifteen years, maybe two or three times. I yeah. always liked it. I always liked a, a two thirty Red River. I did too. 
It's what should have happened a long time ago. That makes sense. Um, what about the SEC going to nine games? Like, you got 18 – how many teams do they have? 16 teams in that league. Like, I mean, you got to do a nine-game schedule just to even play half your league, right? Yeah, unless unless everybody also gets the, you know, the Citadel on their schedule. I mean – You know, midway through the season. OU is going to play Maine in the month of November. How ridiculous is that? See, I think if they have if they play against Maine, they should make them play at Maine. <laughs> like, okay, you want to be a bitch and play Maine in November? Well, good luck traveling to to Bangor, Maine. <laughs> Bangor, Maine. Is that even the town? Like I don't know where they're at. There's there's a couple Maine towns. There's Augusta, Maine, Bangor, Maine, and Portland, then Maine. Uh there's yeah, Portland is the other one. Those are like the three major cities. And I would even call them, I think Tulsa's bigger than all three combined. Probably so. Um that that's that's hilarious. Um so there we have it on that front. That was enough about the uh, the former foes and their news. Yeah, when's the last time we talked about Maine on this show? We probably talked about Maine as much as we've had college wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. Also the uh the new NCAA football game, I guess not NCAA, college football 25. God bless. Um sounds like the game is going to happen released this summer. Tom, I I cannot wait. I I don't have a new game system, but I probably should go ahead and get on that now. Should I go PlayStation or Xbox? Yeah, you got to go PlayStation. I know you're an you're a Microsoft. I know you love your Bill Gates. Oh yeah, um, I, I love that. Uh, the, uh, the 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 Bill Gates uh, uh, chip I got, you know, from the the COVID shot. You know, I feel great from it. Yeah, it's yeah. You might as well go ahead and get your. You might as well get your tenth jab and your Xbox Series X. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Two for one, no, like but, uh, like Kelsey in the Pfizer commercial. No, we are we are PlayStation Master Race around here. I've always been PlayStation guy. I have a PS4 currently. I will. I am going to buy a PlayStation Five, probably the week that. Probably I'll, I'll probably hold out. I have a friend Blake who's a, a big gamer that always is like, dude, get a PlayStation, so, get a PS5, so we can play. He's a he's a guy that like Sunday nights they'll get together and they, him and like four other guys will play PGA. And they'll go play like whatever course. They'll like, okay, we're playing Pebble Beach this week. And Sunday night, they'll all get together on the game and all play uh, just one of the courses. I'm like, you guys are crazy. But they're like, he's like, get a PS5 so we can play. And I was like, well, as soon as as soon as I'm forced to buy one, I mean, they're that's the funny thing. It's been out for four and a half years. They're still five hundred bucks. I don't really feel like spending 500 now just to play NBA 2K on the PS5 when I already have it on PlayStation 4. Is so I will I will wait to the week hard before that get, game drops. Is it still hard to get like a PS5 or what's No, the not anymore. Like? The first like two and a half years you couldn't find them and you had to pay like 600 700 to get them from a scalper because the this there was they weren't in stock but you can you can go out to Walmart, Target, Best Buy, wherever, and go get one 
probably right first thing in the morning, but okay. You know, I just, I'm like, okay, I don't, I said I've, I've been now that I live here in San Antonio and I don't DJ as much anymore. I have been playing a little bit more video games. <laughs> um, but really it's just been Madden and NBA 2k. Um, other than that, though, I, I I will tell you, as soon as that game drops, uh, I'll be shutting down for the summer. I'll, I know it'll be hot here in San Antonio. I'll kick on the AC real low, and I will take Oklahoma State to uh, to glory several times. I I want Tom. I want you to start at the low point, though. The best part for Dynasty mode. I feel like was when you started as a coordinator at like a small school. Like I had the New Mexico offense humming when I was OC at New Mexico in that game. See, I might pay like I might pay like extra for the for the downloadable content, and I might I might bring the Haskell football uh, program back, and I'll take them to glory. Oh, we need it. We need all the glory we can get at Haskell. Um, yeah, man. I'll I'll take it. What is it? The Chieftains, the 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 fighting Indians. Oh yeah, I'll take them. They'll be the the premier program in Lawrence. There we go. Um, let's uh let's talk a little hoops now. Uh, on on this front, uh, looking at the Big Twelve title race, we mentioned it's Houston's to lose at this point, and the latest odds, according to Bet Online have Iowa State as the second favorite. Um, Houston's the favorite. Iowa State the second favorite. Um, and then Baylor and Kansas, a distant third. Here, here's your numbers, by the way. It's uh, uh, Right now, you're looking at Iowa State at plus 250. Baylor and Kansas tied at plus 1,400. If, if Houston doesn't win the league at this point, their odds are minus 220. It is going to take a monumental collapse for for Houston not to win this league, and and I just don't see it happening. I mean, twenty one and three, uh, you know, Cryer's been fantastic. Sheed Sharp, I mean, they're aggressive. Their guards are. They play great defense. I mean, this is this is Houston's league to lose. Like they they are going to have to start playing like Kansas or something if uh, if they're not going to win the league at this point, Tom. I, I would be. I, I have turned a corner. I'll admit, I am man enough to admit I was wrong about Houston this year. I thought that they played too soft of a non-conference schedule, that they would come in and take a bit of a shellacking the Big Twelve, and that just simply hasn't happened. The, Houston's in great shape. In fact, the way they're playing right now. They, they very well just forget the Big 12. Houston might just go in and win the whole national championship. Yeah, they, they very well might. And, you know, Kelvin Sampson's due for his flowers, unfortunately. Um, and, it, you know, I it is the Big 12 purist as much as, as you. I hate to see a new team come in and win the league. Oh, man. <laughs> you know what's another crime? This, this weekend, you got Tech at Iowa State. They got that game on ESPN Plus. Why? So you to get you to pay for ESPN Plus. I mean, yeah, sure, but it's just like, I mean, Tech versus Iowa State on ESPN Plus. I mean, granted, that game's at eleven a.m. I'm not even going to be on the couch at that. Time. I'm still going to be in bed. Yeah. Um, at eleven a.m. this this weekend. Uh, at least I'm planning on it. 
Um, yeah, you got that game going on this weekend. I think Iowa State should win at home. They should be fine. Um, BYU you got the Tyler Jones Confliction Classic. So, my my family we talked about going to this game, but Tom, I know that it's KU's last trip to Norman, and all at least for a while anyway. I'm leaning towards not going to this game because Kansas can't win on the road, and I don't want to be hurt again. Yeah, you imagine you just take that trip to Norman with your OU parents and KU drops the ball. I would never hear the end of it. Yeah, and can you imagine? They're not going to lose by th- – when's the last time KU got shellacked by 29-plus? Um. Ironically enough, when they won the national championship two years ago, they lost by like 25 to Kentucky at home. I mean, yeah. I mean, but to, to an unranked team at that, like that's 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 a low low. But you know, I, that's the funny thing too. Jones marketed. We were recording the show on February 15th at 11:32 p.m. Um, and I swear to God, KU will find a way to the Elite Eight at least. I hope. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Like, that's there, it's it's uh, there's something in the water up there in Northeast Kansas, slash Missouri, Missouri. The other games this week TCU and Kansas State. Uh, that game Saturday, both teams need that this game badly here, and they're pretty evenly matched. Um, K-State, Tom, if they lose this, they might not make the tournament. Like, they they, they need this one. I think their win over KU is obviously one of their better wins. I think they could still get in. Um, I mean, they just – I don't know who they have left, but, I mean, they, they don't want to lose this one. They have this game at home, the battle of the purple teams. They – I mean – you know TCU needs this one a little bit too. I mean they've they have a better record obviously than K State right now, but you know K State need you're I mean you are right. I don't I don't think K State misses attorney, but I I do think they need this one. Um, you know Tom, I I could go a whole one eighty on Houston. In fact, I kind of already have on this show from what I was at three weeks ago. Playing Texas, who they already beat in Austin, and they're at home, and they have a great home court advantage. I'm thinking, Tom, for, for Texas's one trip to Houston here, Houston makes a statement. I like them to win big. I, I think that they are they are going to send a message to the rest of the country, specifically to the league. Uh, I, I, I think Houston might just make this an ugly day for Texas on Saturday. You thinking plus twelve? I'm thinking maybe twenty or more. Yeah, they, I mean they might. You know, it'll be. You know, I don't, I don't know what the Houston Fieldhouse looks like. I know it's not as nice as Moody, but you know, it's it's uh, Houston's kind of like KU. You know, for the longest time, Houston hasn't really had anything to root about in football, but it seems like the basketball has been showing out. I. And and you know it'll be a decently mixed crowd because I know there's a lot of UT fans in in Houston, yeah. so it should be I, it should be a, a pretty crazy atmosphere. 
Um, Cincinnati plays UCF uh, Saturday, and then you got Baylor taking on West Virginia. Baylor is quietly sitting there. All the attention's on Houston and Iowa State, but Baylor at 18 and 6, they're playing better basketball as of late. They're sitting at number 12 in the country here. And I mean, they got dudes. You know, I mean, Walker's good, Dennis, Love, Bridges, none. I, I, I think Baylor is starting to trend towards the right direction here. I I, I would say that Tom, no disrespect to Iowa State, but I think the second best team in the Big 12 is actually those Baylor Bears. Uh, I, I like this Jacoby Walter kid uh, who's leading the way for him. Yeah, and, and yeah, Bridges is pretty good, isn't he? It's yeah, uh, he's got a, <laughs> he's got a shitty name, but you know, yeah. <laughs> you look towards the rest of the week. Monday night, big Monday. Okay, you you talk about crime, Tom. You mentioned the ESPN Plus game. Uh, we got a top 10 matchup Monday night. The top two teams in the league standings, Houston ESPN U. And it's on ESPNU. That's worse than being on ESPN Plus. More people get ESPN Plus than ESPNU. Yeah, they've they've got it out for Iowa State. Oh my lord! Um, so that should be a fun. I don't know. And they they can't. And then they can't even like somehow flex that game either. That's they don't really do that. They don't flex. Yeah, I mean they got K State. Texas is the big Monday game on ESPN Monday. Yeah, that's silly. Yeah, and then Tuesday, UCF, West Virginia. Eh. Baylor going on the road to Provo. Um, that That's kind of taken on a rivalry of its own in football. Got two good basketball programs, both religious institutions. Th- this The Baptists versus the Mormons. The Holy War, you know? Yeah. Kind um, of, yeah, like the alternate Holy War, yeah, like. I'm intrigued. Interesting. Yeah. TCU, Texas on a Tuesday and then OSU, Cincinnati Wednesday. So an interesting uh, week ahead. Some very good games. Bracketology update. uh, Latest from Lenardi. Nine teams from the Big 12 projected to make the tourney at this point. Um, And here's what they look like uh, at the moment. Uh, Midwest region, Iowa State is a three seed. Uh, West region, Texas is an eight, BYU a five, Kansas a two. And then in the East region, you got Baylor as a four, Oklahoma as a six, Texas Tech as a seven. South region, Houston is the one. Um, And then you got TCU as the 10 seed. So those are how things are stacking up uh, with – K-State being the first team from the Big 12 out. So we mentioned K-State needs a win against TCU, and uh, the bracket would indicate the uh, same thing. TCU, one of the last eight teams in the tournament at this point. Also Cincinnati, one of the first teams out of the tournament as well. Uh, But they're going to need some help here. So we'll see how that all works out. More to come. Aaron the Jones Report, Adam Alexander, set to join us next as we'll talk more about the Daytona 500. Coach Bo going to join us coming up later on. Tom Fullery as well. Stick around. Double A joins us next.
Join us on the program this week. Pleased to welcome in from Fox NASCAR, the co-host of NASCAR Race Hub, also the play-by-play voice of the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and you can hear on the Truck Series throughout the season as well. Double A, Adam Alexander joins us to get us set for the 2024 NASCAR Cup Series season. Double A, how we doing? Always a pleasure anytime we get the chance to chat and begin another NASCAR season here. Yeah, I'm sorry you're not in Daytona this time around, Tyler, so we can do this in person. But if you were here and we were doing this on the infield of the fan zone like we usually do, you wouldn't get the effect of Zoom backgrounds like <laughs> my curtains at the hotel here in Daytona. So that that's a nice bonus. Good good to be with you. Looking forward to a fun season ahead. I know. We, we, we've done this uh, this preseason interview the last couple of years, and, and usually we do it in front of uh, your billboard. Is, is that still that's there? That's right. I, you know what? I haven't been down there to check. I need to look at that. I'll do a selfie if it is, and I'll send it to you. <laughs> okay, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Adam, uh, what an exciting season ahead. Uh, we'll dissect it piece by piece here in just a moment. But first off, what's uh, what's going on with you guys at Fox? I know that uh, next year we begin the page of the new TV contract that was announced, but uh, certainly a big year ahead just for you guys, the network still, with uh, having – all three series for uh, one last time here. No doubt. You know, the, the things are, are going to change and look a lot different in 2025, but this year is is status quo and, and it's going to be exactly as it's been the last nine years as we finish out this 10 year run. That's been, I would say so good to all of us. It's, it's been an enjoyable process to be in the Xfinity booth. And, and you mentioned jumping over and doing some truck stuff, which is exciting. And I know for Fox to have the Daytona 500, the Coke 600, we get to go to Darlington, we get to go to Bristol. There are just so many Talladega. There's so many highlights on our portion of the schedule. When you look at the cup side of things, what we've been able to do with an NASCAR Xfinity series and bringing all the cup drivers in as guest analysts. And we do our drivers only broadcast in May in Charlotte, which is awesome. And then to have the entire truck series schedule that goes wire to wire and, and covering all the playoffs and the championships. So Across the board, you know, in addition, you know, Race Hub has is, is enjoyed an incredible run with, with 2,500 episodes celebrated a, a couple of weeks ago. So it's been awesome for us. Things will change, no doubt, in 2025, but looking forward to what we have in 2024, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, heading into Daytona this weekend, uh, Adam, what's the biggest storyline that uh, catches your eyes as we begin this uh, 2024 season here? Well, I feel like anytime you go into a new year – there are always new faces in new places and, and, you know, Kevin Harvick not going to be racing for the first time, you know, full time since 2001. And we're excited to have him with us on the Fox side now full time, which is, is great for everyone involved, not just at Fox, but I would say the fans will enjoy his fresh perspective in the booth, which will be good. And, you know, now you fill a void there and, and the, you know, the, the look at Stuart Haas racing is totally different because not only is Kevin gone, Eric Almirola is gone and Noah Gregson fills the, the, the Eric Almirola seat and Josh Berry gets his opportunity to run cup full time in that four car. And so anytime you go into a new year, a lot of it is figuring out who's where and what changes have been made. And then when you start talking about on track, one of the storylines I'm going to be watching very closely early in the year is Chase Elliott. It was such a disappointing 2023 for him because of the injury and you know, he had that suspension. He didn't make the playoffs. But if you look at the numbers, they had a pretty good year. He didn't win, but, but they had a pretty good season. And and so just how they rebound, if you want to call it that, and, and come back. 
Ryan Blaney is the reigning champ. How, how does he do? How does he handle that role? Is is one of the the guys that now would be considered an upper echelon driver, no doubt. When you look at the Cup Series, and then Denny Hamlin, he didn't make the championship four last year, but man, has he done some really positive things. Twenty wins in the last five seasons, and he told us yesterday during media day he feels like he's as good as he's ever been. So I'm anxious to watch what Denny Hamlin's able to do this season. Oh, yeah, yeah. should be great to see uh, for sure if he could finally break through and win that championship. Uh, let's start in the, the Hendrick camp here. You mentioned Chase Elliott, and it's fascinating looking at that organization because you got Kyle Larson and William Byron, who had very good years in 2023. And then the other side with Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman, who were both in and out of their race cars and didn't get to victory lane here. How do you think things are going to go as a whole for – that organization can everybody get back on track and uh be competitive you think this upcoming year or do you think it's going to be a little mix and match like we saw last year i would be surprised if they're not very competitive the opinion that i got from chase elliott during media day yesterday is that he's very hungry and and there have been some whispers from the outside that perhaps a, a change could be made there in regard to the crew chief and and how they they run the nine team and you know, Chase was was very adamant yesterday that his relationship with Alan Gustafson is great and he wants to enjoy success with Alan. And, and I felt tremendous confidence uh, in that relationship after talking to Chase yesterday. And, and so that is, is good for them. And I really would be surprised if Chase doesn't have a good year. I'm not going to go out and predict he's going to win seven or eight races in a championship. But but I would be stunned if they're not in victory lane and back in the playoffs and someone we're talking about is a potential champion. You know, Kyle Larson is, uh, I would say, would be my number one draft pick right now if I had to pick a driver. I mean, he just yeah, gets yeah. it done at so many types of racetracks. So I, I feel like he will be great again. And William Byron is coming off his you know best year of his career, six wins and a championship, four appearance. I, I don't know that they can repeat the six wins. But confidence certainly is not a problem there. So he should be good. And, you know, Bowman's probably the X factor. Most people forget they had led the points early last year before he got injured and, and all of that. And, and so can they pick up the pieces and it'll be his second year with crew chief Blake Harris? And, and I would say that's probably where the biggest question mark would be at Hendrick Motorsports. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a great point. Uh, Stuart Hall's Racing certainly catching some headlines with – just the changes we've seen uh, coming off a year where they didn't get in victory lane last year. Kevin Harvick's gone now. Uh, young driver stable there. What do you think about what's going on at uh, Stuart Haas Racing? How do you think that team is uh, going to perform this season? I think I'd be lying if I, I said I wasn't concerned. I, I am, you know, the only driver over there that hasn't won at the cup level is Chase Briscoe. You know, a couple of years ago, he was able to win at Phoenix and he did make the playoffs, but they didn't win last year. And and you say goodbye to their two veteran drivers and, and Harvick and Almirola, as, as I talked earlier. And so now who picks up the ball and runs with it? And and who is the the cornerstone that everyone leans on when you need to make something happen? I will say I was encouraged by an interview that I heard with Tony Stewart recently when he was very outspoken about the disappointment in the team's performance and where they need to go. And the leadership probably now, you know, should and could come from Tony. And hopefully the attitude and mentality from Tony that I heard in that interview will carry over to the competition side. You know, Ford's got a new car. Maybe that opens um, you know, the door for them to go out and do some things. And, and we'll see, you know, Joey Logano is on the pole, 
Michael McDowell's on the front row. So Ford has already come out of the great, uh, the gate strong this year. When you talk about qualifying for the Daytona 500, maybe that's a sign that Ford as a manufacturer has a strong foundation for the year ahead. And, and that would equal success as well for Stuart Haas. Yeah. Uh, of that Stuart Haas camp, you mentioned Chase Briscoe being the only one with a cup win. Who do you think's the most likely to, to have a breakout and strong campaign of sorts between those four drivers? You know, it's interesting. I, I would say that Ryan Priest is someone who, depending on the track, can be a player. He's been pretty decent when it comes to the draft. And, and so when you talk about Daytona and Talladega, he's someone to keep an eye on. And then, then I would say Martinsville. If you, if you go back to last year, Ryan Priest, you know, qualified great at Martinsville and dominated the early portion of that race before speeding penalty. So there are certain tracks where I feel like you have to keep an eye on Ryan Priest. Chase Briscoe has proven, you know, that he's the guy that can get it done. And and then, you know, when it comes to Josh Berry and Noah Gregson, short on experience at the cup level, but no denying their talent when you look at what they were able to accomplish at Junior Motorsports in the Xfinity Series. So the talent is there. The potential is there. It's just a matter of finding the speed in the cars. And, and then can those drivers find enough speed and, and enjoy enough success that they have the confidence they need to get over the top and and get it done on a regular basis. Let's uh, let's stay in the Ford camp, uh, go over to Penske. You mentioned Ryan Blaney coming in, looking to defend his championship, but didn't necessarily have a dominating season by any stretch uh, last year. His teammate, Joey Logano, uh, you know, is is on the pole for the 500. Cendric looking to have a, a bounce back here after a, a disappointing sophomore season. What, what, what do you think of what's going on at Penske in, in that organization, the the expectations to perform? How, how well do you think that group's going to be in, uh, here this season? If you just look at the number of wins in the last two seasons, forget the playoff stuff. Just look at the number of wins. You would say, oh, that's, that's probably not where I would, would want Penske to be. Yeah. And then you say, well, okay, maybe they're not winning as much as, as we would like. But the reality is they've won two consecutive championships with Joey Logano and Ryan Blaney, and that's what it's all about. And and so you said it. I mean, Ryan Blaney was not the model of consistency in 2023, but they performed at the right time, and that's what this format is about. Joey Logano did the same thing two years ago. I get the feeling that Ryan Blaney's confidence is in a good place, and he is poised to come back and have a very strong run following the championship a season ago. Can he go back-to-back? So hard to do. Probably would bet against that just because the odds say that won't happen. But he will be a player, I do believe. You look at Joey Logano, he is maybe as competitive as anybody. And I know everybody is, and I don't want to measure the heart and determination of a driver when it comes to the competition side. But Joey Logano does not like to lose. And they only won one time last year, and his teammate won the championship. He's hungry, and and we probably saw a little bit of that out of he and that team when they won the poll for the Daytona 500. I I look at 2024, in my eyes, it sets up to be a big year for Logano, and there's no question there will be a bounce back from Cendric. Is he going to win races and make the playoffs? I don't know, but they've got to be better in 2024 than they were in 2023 when they had that sophomore slump. One, one more Ford tale I want to ask you about the, the RFK camp last year, really strong, you know, breakout season of sorts with how well Chris Buescher ran. And even though Brad Kislowski get, didn't get to victory lane, he was consistent all year long here. Justin Haley into the fold in a satellite uh, camp organization with Rick Ware. What, what do you think about RFK racing? Seems like that team has certainly 
taking strides in, in the right direction here. No question. And when you look at the the what they've established this weekend, I mean, they were one, two here in, in August at Daytona. David Reagan is their third car that they're going to run in the 500. He, he was an open car, but he locked himself into the race last night. So we know they'll have three horses running on track this weekend. And Brad Keselowski's done a remarkable job. If you go back to when he took over the, the driver owner role there and, and it became, you know, Roush Fenway Keselowski racing RFK in 2022, boy, it was, it was rough at times. 2023, they made unbelievable progress. And, and I don't know if they can continue to grow at that rate, but there is no doubt that the trajectory is, is going very, very steep in the right direction. And Brad's just been a tremendous leader. And it would be shocking to me if he doesn't win races in 2024. Busher has now established himself as someone who can win. And across the board, organizationally, they have turned that thing around and become a real legitimate player. And I give a ton of credit to Brad and the way he leads. Yeah, yeah, he's done a great job. And uh, I, I would be so shocked if he doesn't get back to victory lane this year and in that, uh, that win streak that he's on uh, at this point. Uh how about Joe Gibbs Racing? Uh, they got to be feeling pretty good about themselves. We mentioned Denny Hamlin, still looking for that first championship, but uh, looked really good in the clash a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, Christopher Bell is coming in to do his own the last couple of seasons. Truex had a bounce back year last year, and we, we saw the 54 car with uh, Ty Gibbs run better towards the end of last year. Uh, what, what what do you think of that Joe Gibbs Racing bunch, and who's going to be the uh, the team to beat from from that group? I don't know. I, it's hard to predict, honestly, because if, if you look at what Christopher Bell has done the last two years, he's performed at a high level in the playoffs and both seasons made the championship four. And when you look at their organization and past success, he's someone that, you, you know, you circle as, as being very bright for the future. Ty Gibbs, you touched on it, strong finish to 2023 in his rookie campaign, but he was unbelievable and probably – coulda, woulda, shoulda won the clash. I mean, he was probably the most dominant car in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago. So you have to be excited about their two young drivers. And then what's not to like about the two veterans? I mean, Martin Truex Jr. was incredible last year in the regular season. Everything went wrong in the playoffs, but he had a, a great year. I mean, put up unbelievable numbers. And I talked earlier about my anticipation of Denny Hamlin and where he is and, and just what he brings with the swagger that he has right now at this stage of his career. So it's really hard to predict who will be the best of the bunch. I would say all four make the playoffs and all four win races. And if you I'm, I'm not an expert, but I hear all of our experts, our analysts at Fox talk about it, and they have all mentioned Ty Gibbs and, and just how high the expectations are for him this year. So Across the board, Gibbs is a group I feel is in a great place, and and my anticipation would be that they all deliver at a very high level in 2024. Yeah, uh, their former driver Kyle Busch at RCR had a, a very solid year, his first year there with that organization. Austin Dillon, his teammate, down year, looking to bounce back. Uh, what what do you think of things going on in RCR, and how well will, will Kyle Busch and company perform in a year two over there? You know, it's funny. We talked to Kyle yesterday, and I asked him, what is year two like? Because there are so many unknowns anytime you go to a new organization. And he had been such a figure with Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing in the you know, last 10, 12 years, whatever it was. And so now, you know, he, he goes over to drive for RCR, and, and it's like, what do we expect here? And, you know, he wins three races and makes the playoffs. And 
while their playoff run wasn't great and their performance dipped late in the year, I do see an educational process that took place, and that is probably going to help them as they begin this season. And, and when we talked to Kyle yesterday, you know, he acted like they really had a strong foundation to build on. And so, it, you know, three wins is great. And, and the other thing I would say about Kyle Busch that's very unique and cool about this year, if, if Kyle wins this season, that would be his 20th straight year with a win in the cup series. He's already passed Richard Petty for, for most wins consecutive seasons, but to do it in 20 straight years would be an enormous exclamation point on what's already considered one of the great careers ever. And, and then on top of that, you know, he was so close to winning the Daytona 500 last year. He's won at Daytona, just never in the 500. They are going to be a real threat. I feel like on Sunday as well. And, and boy, if he wins the Daytona 500 on top of two championships and the success that he's enjoyed at Hendrick Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, and RCR. What a career this guy is putting together. Oh, absolutely. No question about it. A couple more teams I want to ask you about here. Uh, let's go to uh, Team Trackhouse now. Uh, Ross Chastain coming off another good season again. And we see that, you know, they bring Zane Smith as a affiliate driver and, uh, you know, Shane Van Gisbergen on the Xfinity side working with the Kotlin camp and Suarez is still there. Some exciting times going on with uh, with Justin Marks in this organization. They're, I, I feel like, Adam, yeah, they're going to contend for wins this year, but it feels like their their story is the big picture beyond this year of what they're building for years to come there. Well, there's no doubt about it. And I would say leadership, when you talk about organizations in NASCAR right now, is as good as it's ever been. We've got some really good people in charge that, that are racers and connected to the sport for many years. And, and I would say all – have a little bit of a, a different vision and where they're going to go. We've touched on Denny Hamlin, you know, what he's doing at 2311 is remarkable Brad over at RFK. And I would say the same about track house. Here's a new team. New teams don't make it. It's pretty hard to jump into this thing. And, and not that that was totally a new team. I know they bought some assets and kind of growing, you know, an extension off of, of some other opportunities that existed prior to, to Justin Marks coming on the scene. But the reality is even though they, they bought the Chip Ganassi building and some of that, his way of doing business is very, very unique. And, and it's one that uh, has turned into a great success story. And when you have a guy like Ross Chastain that can win two races and and, and be disappointed, I, I think Ross left, left last year saying we, we want more than that. that. That's a great sign. I know Daniel didn't win, but they are doing a great job of stockpiling talent. I mean, you talked about Zane Smith and, and Shane Van Gisbergen across the board what Justin Marks is doing along with Pitbull and, and their approach to success has been pretty fun to watch. And I go into 2024 with tremendous anticipation on what's next. Yeah. Well, and, and just like even the way they're marketing, like, you know, they get the Bush light deal this year with, uh, with Ross and the way they've branded things. I mean, I, I can only imagine what, what's going to come of that of bringing in a, a major, partner like Anheuser-Busch and such, what that's going to do for their brand and what they're trying to put themselves out there as. No question. And and I would say that goes back to that leadership and that approach. And when, when you go find sponsors today, there needs to be something more than just putting them on the race car. And that is is where Justin Mark's strength appears to be, is, is the next level way of thinking. And you, you know what? That, that puts pressure on other teams. 
and everybody begs, borrows, and steals ideas. And, and that's where I look at the, the leadership, the young, fresh faces that we have on the leadership side. And, and you look at the role that Jeff Gordon plays now at Hendrick Motorsports. You look at Jimmy Johnson's involvement with Legacy Motor Club. There, there are just so many different paths to success out there. And, and we're seeing a lot of new young folks that have a racing background that, that are bringing these new fresh ideas and, and it's great to see in the sport. And I think ultimately that's, what's going to grow NASCAR well into the future. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One more team. Uh, I want to ask you about along those same lines. That's done an incredible job branding and establishing identity. That 2311 team, um, same similar circumstance track house. We mentioned, you know, building for the future and all, but some real good talent heading into this year. Tyler Reddick, his second year in the organization, and then Bubba Wallace on the other side. High expectations for Bubba uh, this upcoming season as well, and in particular at Daytona where he's raced at pretty well. I, I would be surprised, Adam, if, if we don't see a big year out of both uh, Reddick and, and, and Bubba Wallace here. Both made the playoffs last year, and we know that Reddick, uh, you know, won races and, and is someone that we, we feel like will be a championship contender. And, and talking to Bubba Wallace yesterday at Media Day, he seems to be in as good a place as he's ever been in. He, he told me that he went back to 2014 and watched some of his performances in the Craftsman Truck Series when he was driving for Kyle Busch to kind of reignite the confidence of when he was winning on a regular basis and someone who was a real player for the championship there. So, Yes. I mean, th this team has done an unbelievable job. And if you get to Charlotte or they have an open house sometime later this year, maybe around a Coke 600, you need to go see their race shop. What what Denny and Michael have built is just remarkable. And you know, I would say this, that they see it from every level and they've been great to their employees and, you know, they think big and they think different and it has served them well. And it's fun to watch them have success. And I'll tell you some of my favorite moments are when Michael Jordan is at the track and, and when the race is over, he's down on pit road with his arm around Bubba or his arm around, you know, Tyler and talking to them about their day. So it, it's pretty cool to see a guy like Michael Jordan around and, and Denny Hamlin has got the great balance of, of racer and businessman and and that combination really, really has is, is been great for them. Yeah, I, I was at Talladega this past year and was uh, outside their pit box when uh, Bubba, I, I believe he crashed in the last lap or lost the lead, whatever, and just seeing the genuine emotion out of MJ of him as upset as he was to see that happen in real time. Like, this, this guy's it, – it, everything you thought of him is true as far as a competitor goes. Um, it's pretty unique to see. Adam, I know you're going to be, uh, we mentioned covering a lot of the Xfinity and the truck side uh, throughout the season as well. Uh, what stands out to you there with both those series? I know they both put on a terrific product every week, and there's a lot of good young talent in both those series. There is. There's been a, a ton of change in the Xfinity series. When you look at the 12 playoff drivers last year, three of those have moved on to run a cup car, Daniel Hemrick, John Hunter Nemechek and Josh Berry, and then, you know, three others have changed locations. Uh, Sammy Smith went from Joe Gibbs Racing over to Junior Motorsports. Chandler Smith goes from Colleg uh, to Joe Gibbs Racing, and Sheldon Creed goes from RCR to JGR. So a, a lot of change when you look at the front runners. A.J. Allmendinger is, is back in the series full-time, and I love what he brings, both personality and as a racer. Shane Van Gisbergen, you talked about, is signed with Trackhouse, but on a loan-out deal with Colleague, and, and he's going to run full-time. So the Xfinity Series is strong. 
and it's going to be a very, very competitive year. And and I haven't even mentioned the fact that Cole Custer won the championship last year, and he's back. And, you know, Justin Allgaier and Sam Mayer had great second halves of the year, made the championship four. So, so a lot to be excited about there. And when it comes to trucks, they lost a couple of big names too. Carson Hosovar, Zane Smith are, are both at the cup level now. But, you know, coming back is Corey Heim, and Corey is a special, special talent. And that is something to be excited about. He was incredible a year ago. And then the champion, Ben Rhodes. You know, quietly, Ben Rhodes has won two of the last three titles. And I love the way he goes about his business, a great veteran of the truck series. And, you know, Grant Infinger made the championship four last year, and he's changed teams. So there's a ton of storylines in the truck series as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, they, with the Daytona 500 this year, Adam, you know, we always talk about how anybody can win this. It's so wide open. But – it doesn't change how hard it is to still win this race. Who do you like ultimately to to get it done uh, on Sunday and, and walk away with that uh, Harley Earl Trophy there? It's always, uh, you know, Denny Hamlin, it's hard to predict, but Denny Hamlin's always going to be on my, my short list just because of what he's done here. And and I know with the, the new car the last few years, his drafting results haven't been as good, but he, he told us yesterday, I'm going to be selfish, and that's what you have to be to win this race. So definitely keep an eye on Denny Hamlin. And then after that, I would probably point to someone in the Ford camp. You know, Logano is due. He hadn't won this thing since he did it in 2015. He's been close so many times. And Brad Keselowski could, could very well get his first because we talked about RFK. They were one, two here in August. And, and I, I just think they are going to be really good in the race on Sunday. So, you know, if I had to pick one, I would probably put my money on Denny Hamlin, but I could list seven or eight and make a really strong case, maybe 10 or 12 that, that have a real shot to go out and get it done on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Adam, uh, before we go, I, I do have to ask you, you knew I was going to slide in a college basketball question. I imagine you as a Purdue guy got to be pretty excited about what uh, Matt Painter and companies put together this year. That What, what, what I see from that team and Zach Eady, uh, I mean, you, you, you guys got a great squad this year. Well, you know, it's funny. I was in Atlanta last year uh, doing NASCAR when Purdue got beat and, you know, that by Fairleigh Dickinson. And that was such a, you know, heartbreaking loss when it's a 16 and a one. Right. And I had someone come up to me and say, well, you got to fire your coach now, right? And I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? Have you, I'm, <laughs> I'm a Purdue guy. I know what expectations are on an annual basis. Matt Painter's been unbelievable. And they go out and they get Lance Jones in the transfer portal, and he, he's been a nice addition. The two young guards, Smith and Lawyer, have, have stepped up, and they're doing great things. And obviously, Zach Eady, as you talk about, is you know I'd be shocked if he's not the national player of the year again. So Painter's done a great job, and, and ultimately he's going to be judged by what he does in March. And until they make a, a tournament run and get into the, the Final Four and maybe win a national championship, there are going to be question marks about – his legacy by many, but as a guy that, that grew up and following that Purdue program, it's in as good a shape as it's ever been. And and I'm a big celebrate the good and don't focus on the bad kind of guy. And with that, it's, it's been exciting. And I'm just hopeful that he can get what he deserves and go out and finish the deal. I'm sure a lot of Purdue people are, are mentioning what Virginia happened to them of getting upset by 16, and then winning the title the next year. Um, maybe the same thing happens here with Purdue coming off that. And, then, I mean, I got to mention this too, just the changing landscape in, in, in college athletics. Everybody knows about NIL and the portal, all that. But Adam, uh, just what we've seen with the way these conferences are changing up next year, it's it's, it's going to be a whole different ballgame next year. 
It really is. And, and you're looking at an SEC and a Big Ten, and that's where we're, we're trending. And, and um, I, I would say that I, I love the growth. And being in the business that I'm in, in the television world, you, you see and understand why all of this is happening. I'm, I'm not a fan of the changing landscape. I, I, I love tradition, and, and I feel like we're getting away from that because of NIL and the transfer portal and the big conferences. And I think you're losing rivalries, and, and fans are, are maybe losing touch with their team because you don't get a chance to follow a particular player for three or four years and watch their growth. And, and so that that's disappointing to me because that's what college athletics is. But I also understand the growth of it has made it into a, a tremendous business. And, and with that comes change. And so I'm along for the ride. I still watch. I still wear my, my sweatshirt when, when it's game day. And, and I don't know that that will ever change, even though I, I don't necessarily like the direction it's always headed. I still enjoy watching the, the teams play and, and it's, uh, you know, the atmospheres are great and, and it's hard to beat college sports, whether you're talking football or basketball. As long as Indiana and Purdue are still playing every year. Uh, as, hey, as long as Purdue wins, that, that's all. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Adam, uh, plug away. Work in uh, people follow along all weekend long and uh, see your coverage on a Fox and FS1. Yeah, we're, we're going to be uh, back on the air tonight. We, we got truck series practice, and then we got the duel at Daytona as we set the field for the 500 this evening. Tomorrow, busy day for me with uh, truck qualifying, truck race. I'll also do Xfinity practice, Xfinity qualifying in the race on Saturday. We got some cup practices scattered in there that I will not be a, a part of, but, but we'll have it on FS1. And then Sunday's the big one. Our, our pre-race coverage with race day starts on FS1 at 11. We're over to Fox at 1, and at 2.30 Sunday afternoon, we'll have the Great American Race. So we, we can't wait. Lots of anticipation. Adam, always a pleasure in time we get the chance to chat, my friend. Uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you all weekend long on FS1. Enjoy the Daytona 500. We'll talk again down the line. Yes, sir. Thank you, Tyler. Time for Coach Most Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. And also check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast, out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, I, I was just on your podcast a couple of days ago. Uh, yeah. I've been in a very good mood the last couple of days uh, with my Kansas City Chiefs taking home the uh, Super Bowl title. How are you, my friend? Uh, how are the vibes uh in uh, in your neck of the woods uh, since the Chiefs Super Bowl win, obviously we're thinking of those uh, that were involved, uh, you know, with this just tragic shooting at the parade that, that put a damper on things, of course. But uh, what's uh, how how things in, in your world, man? And you know, people are happy here. I you know, this the shooting stuff has happened in the last few hours since we're recording now. And honestly, I've been so busy with work today that I didn't see it till after the fact. So I'm still catching up on some of the details of it. Uh, certainly my thoughts are with those people. That's Those are innocent people at a parade trying to enjoy themselves and something pointless happens. And that's just um, unbelievable. I'm not going to get into all that today. I think it's the right place or time for that. But uh, overall, God, people are just extra ecstatic. I mean, the Super Bowl, the, the Chiefs win. I, we've talked a lot since then. I was, you came on my pod and we talked the night of the Super Bowl. Right. Um, it's been an interest. It's interesting to see what people are saying locally. Like you know, everyone's throwing all their flowers at 
the Chiefs at Patrick Mahomes at Chris Jones, a lot of the players, the Chiefs who played great, great games. And you go watch the national piece, and so much of it's been the negativity of the 49ers. Yeah. But um, you know, locally, look, it it's a it's a dynasty, and that's pretty cool when you live somewhere to have that. And look, I, I've I've said for years, I'm not from here originally. I've I've grown up, I've lived here for a number of years now, 25 years, and um I don't consider myself a Chiefs fan. I'm still a fan of the team where I'm from. But you can't help but root for that team. Those players, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, Travis Kelsey, obviously, with everything going on with him. And but it's the little things for me. It's the the Trent McDuffies, it's the um obviously Chris Jones, but I gotta tell you the guy I felt really good for was MVS. Yeah. I want to tell a quick story if I can. Go ahead. I was at the Chiefs Bengals game earlier in the year. Yeah. Uh, so like back in December. And I was lucky enough to be able to, be able to go on the field with pregame. And so my wife and I are on the field, and we are in the area where the Chiefs are warming up. They're warming up right in front of us. And you forget till you're in front of those superb athletes how great those athletes really are. But then I'm watching MVS, and he's catching every goddamn ball in his way. I mean, if you threw it, it'll like Calvin Johnson. I mean, he was just Anything you threw at him, he was catching and, and catching well. With soft hands looked great. And I really wanted him to make a big play in the game. I was rooting for the Bengals because I'm a Joe Burrow guy. Burrow didn't play. So I just you know, enjoyed it for what it was. But I was rooting for him. And then the fumble happened where he did where he, he kind of he dropped the ball on a play later in the game, and my heart bled for him. But for him to be the one of the guys that catches one of the passes in the Super Bowl. For a touchdown, I was happy for him because what I saw that day at Arrowhead was a player who was struggling. It was a mental block. It is a mental thing in his case. I really believe that it's not a physical thing, and I hope that gets him over the hump. Whether he's in Kansas City next year or somewhere else, uh, likely somewhere else because of the salary cap. But um, I I rooted for him in that game. I rooted for Trent McDuffie. Um, we got to we got to meet him for a moment before the game, and he was super. And just I mean, again, a few of those guys that are those kind of guys, the glue guys, are the guys that I was really kind of rooting for. And then I look, you look at Patrick Mahomes, and again, you know, everybody, if you listen to me, you know, I'm a Joe Burrow guy. You know, that's my guy. But if you can't get with Patrick Mahomes, that's a you problem, not a him problem. Yeah, this is a good dude. I mean he he doesn't he does everything you want a star quarterback to do off the field. He carries himself with pride and dignity. He's had to deal with off-the-field problems with close family members, and he's handled it with class. And, and he happens to be the best goddamn football player in the world. And so, you know, that's if you can't root for that, is he corny? Yes. Is he kind of goofy? Yes. But goddamn, so, are, so am I. So a lot of people I know. Yeah. It, well, he like, seems like he's enjoying it. And, 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 People point that, to his his family, not liking you know his brother or his sister stuff yeah. like that. Like you, you can't pick your family. We all have family members we don't no. like, you know. Maybe. No, and and you see that it's look, and, and you know you can you hold that against him. Well, I guess you could if you're an asshole, but at the same time, <laughs> I, he you tell me something that man's done on or off the field you can't respect. You're not going to find it. He's yeah. a he's a he's like a genuine article in every which way. I've heard stories locally of him doing things, just being kind. Yes. And 
things that you don't, you know, the cameras weren't there. I heard it from a first-hand report on a couple of them. It's like, dude, if you can't get with that guy, there's something wrong with you. So let me ask you this. The so yeah, I'm happy for him too. Definitely, definitely. Kind of back to where you started in all this of the the two perspectives of, of where this is coming from. Of uh, so much being made about the Niners and their loss and how they lost. But then the Chiefs of what they did to win, those two perspectives. The age-old question. What happened? Did the Niners lose this game or did the Chiefs win this game? Or was it a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both. I, I do. Because you think of it this way. You don't have a missed extra point. 49ers win this game. Yeah. And and Patrick Mahomes doesn't get a chance to win for in overtime. Um, if you don't have some of the mistakes on the play calling late in the game that the 49ers had, Mahomes doesn't get a chance to win the game. But I do think also that when given the opportunity, Chiefs went and got it. You know, so there's a little bit of both to that. You know, everyone the day after wants to keep praise on the winner and overvalue players. You know, people are saying Travis Kelsey's the greatest tight end of all time this week. I don't know. He's not as great as Gronk, but Mount Rushmore for sure. But we, you know, we keep all this extra praise on people. And then yeah. on the other side, we keep, you cost us this. Yeah. When sometimes, look, it's one game. It's not a series. It's one game in football. And it can often come down with two great teams get after it. And look, these are two great football teams. Yeah. They get after one another. It could come down to one play or one decision. And in the end, it really came down to, a missed extra point, um, a questionable third down call, and then the best quarterback in the league making plays. Yeah. I mean, that's – what are you going to do about it at this point? And I, that's just the, the way the, the ball bounces. The 49ers had their chances to win this game. If you had told me going in it was going to be 19-19 in the fourth quarter or that – if you told me you'd have held Patrick Mahomes to 19 points, I would have told you the 49ers would have won the game. Yeah. It's an interesting point for sure. And, and so, you know, I, I look at this when it comes to Mahomes and and now he's got three Super Bowl titles. He's only 28 years old. And and we, we, you mentioned, like, he's on a terrific path. The, the, the Hall of Fame – Career is already there. Everything is still in front of this guy. He's still so young here. Um, what 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 is next? Like, is it just keep on trucking along? Is there there's something this guy still has left to prove or anything? Like, I I, I do wonder. Bo is is uh, contentment. Is this team going to get content uh, over this next stretch? Because it was a long gap between the Patriots' third and fourth Super Bowl wins. That's uh, a great how, how do you see the next era of this going for the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and company? Okay. So I think they're motivated still because three in a row hasn't been done. No one's done yet. There's been great teams that have won two. You know, the Cowboys have did it in the 90s. The 49ers have done it. Patriots have done it. Um, the Packers and the Steelers have done it. And let me add one more point, too. Like, I would say the Patriots dynasties, that wasn't one dynasty. Those were two separate dynasties. 
I, I would agree with you on that. I, I think you had two different Tom Brady's that time too. Yes. Yeah. So I, I agree with that. So I think that if you look at it, I think right now the motivation is, hell, we got a chance to do something no one's done. And that's to win three. I also think that we talked about Mahomes and how I guess the term could be happy-go-lucky. He really has that mentality. You know, nothing seems like it's too high stress and nothing seems like it brings him down too low, which is really admirable in a person, much less a great, great quarterback. And you really want that. That's kind of calming. And I can see where that could kind of, over time, you talk about there being a lull. He wants to get after it, too. He gets on that field, you see the dog. You see that dog in him. But then he's real soft-spoken and take you off the field. He's, he's just kind of goofy Patrick Mahomes. I think that you'll see that that's going to be helpful to them in the long run. And the other thing I think is Andy Reid. Now, a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, you know, I, talked, I thought Andy Reid was closer to retirement. I tend to think, like you were saying like a couple weeks ago, maybe he's got a few more uh, years in the tank. I thought maybe health would be a problem at some point, but he seemed to get it. I listened to a couple of interviews that he had. That's not a man who's going to retire anytime soon. So unless his health were to get worse. Um, but what I do think is that Andy Reid had so much of, we were so close when he was the Eagles coach that now you're going to keep fighting. I think that he'll be the one who can also draw to the, start from the experience of, we got close, we had issues, and we didn't quite get there. And he can draw on that to help his guys moving forward. People who will come into the organization because you will be able to move in out over the next few years. Uh, as long as he is there, I think as long as you have that core of those two men, they're going to be in the argument or they're going to be the favorites. I know Vegas has the 49ers as the favorite next year. I would have the Chiefs as the favorite right now. But they're going to always be either the favorite or one of the favorites. Similar to Belichick, Brady, Walsh in Montana, um, uh, Chuck Noll and Terry uh, Bradshaw, uh, Aikman and Jimmy Johnson, those kind of things. They're in that echelon. Now, you could argue that Mahomes is maybe Mahomes. They're probably more of Belichick and Brady. But the the, the issue with Belichick was there was years that he didn't he didn't love it. Like he he. He loved it, but the guys didn't believe in him at times. Right. And they had to find – Tom Brady had to become someone else in the second half of his career. What changed the Patriots into the second half was Randy Moss. It was the year they brought in Randy Moss. and he Even though Randy home. never won a ring with the Patriots. No, but that's what changed the offense. Right. They went from being a predictable offense to in a strong defense – to now they realize that Tom Brady could throw the ball around the field. It didn't, he never won it. Moss didn't, but that's what opened up their offense. It opened up their eyes that Tom Brady could play. If you remember those first couple of, of Super Bowls, Tom Brady was not the central guy. Right. You know, a lot of it was, well, Belichick, the defense, the run game, and he won't lose the game. As he got a little older, and as he had a couple of big seasons in numbers, all of a sudden it flipped. And then they got where they parentally started beating the Colts. Right. And then they helped when Peyton Manning got hurt, a couple other things. But 
you, you look at that and you go, okay, you know, they got the best of that of that thing. There's going to be a flip at some point, but the flip will be Patrick Mahomes is 35. And yeah, he may not gunsling at 70 yards, but he's going to make smarter decisions. And he's already doing that. Some of the stuff that Patrick Mahomes is doing pre-snap right now is stuff that we've only seen from Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and John Elway in the later, later part of his career and, and Joe Montana. That's what's making him greater than just his physical abilities. Um, I'm amazed by what he's doing now. He's in a class by himself and in current in the current league. And, you know, I've always said I thought Aaron Rodgers was the most skilled quarterback. I've changed my tune. The, best, the most skilled quarterback I've seen is, is, is Patrick Mahomes now. And it has to, it has to just as much to go with what I see when he's calling plays. I think Patrick Mahomes called most of the plays in the fourth quarter. We know already he called the touchdown play. Right. We know that he called a couple of the other plays. He's putting the Chiefs in successful positions. He's doing it better now because now he's learned to see things pre-snap he couldn't see three years ago. All right. And that's only going to get better, not worse. That's where that's where older quarterbacks do well. It's where guys like Drew Brees had a great end of his career. It's why Brady was so great, you know, at 45. It's why Peyton Manning, when his arm was shot, could still win games. Mahomes is that too. And yeah. there'll come a time, it's not right now, and it won't be soon, where his physical skills will deteriorate, but his mind will be just as good, if not better. Yeah, yeah, I think so. This, this Chiefs team's not going anywhere. they got to figure out the Chris Jones situation, but sound like based on what he said in the parade, he wants to be back. Uh, yeah, I think both sides want to make that work. And they I have think the salary cap to do it, too. Yeah, and they've only got, you know, you and I talked about this on my pod. It was, we, I pulled up their salary cap. They're still under, and they're under a ways, and they've only got to make one or two moves to clear out another 20, 30 million. Right. Uh, MVS will go, which is unfortunate, but yeah, that's going to happen. They're going to be able to pay him two and save 12 on the cap, um, which they'll do. They'll do that before May 1st. And then they're talking about restructuring Mahomes. Well, whatever they can restructure and kick back on his bonuses down the road, they'll pay Chris Jones now. Yeah. And he'll have zero problem with that. And I mean, he's making more money off the field than he is on the field now anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I think that Patrick Mahomes wants to be here. Chris Jones wants to be here. They realize Mahomes realizes he needs a guy like Chris Jones on the other side. Look, it's gonna, they're going to work that out. So, all right. Let's talk about that. If Chris Jones wasn't here next year. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about the Niners now. Um, yeah. Niners obviously missed opportunity. Kyle Shanahan catching a lot of flack. Uh, you know, his third Super Bowl loss as a play caller, second Super Bowl loss uh, as a head coach where he's blown a 10-point lead or more, um, and also against the Kansas City Chiefs twice, nonetheless. Um, just with what unfolded there, I mean, the Niners had chances, had plenty of opportunities to win this football game. We, we've heard about that they didn't know the overtime rules or, uh, you know, obviously we've heard some knocks on, on Brock Purdy and, uh, you know, the defense taking some blame. Steve Wilkes not, doesn't have a job now and all this. Um, 
what 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 do you think of what happened? Like, who is the most to blame for uh, the Niners' failures, their shortcomings on Sunday? I think it's Kyle Shanahan. I and I think it's a, a couple of twofold on that. So I think it's Kyle Shanahan because I the 49ers looked like they were underprepared. I don't think that's the best way to put that, but um we talked at length here and on my pod of what the Chiefs were going to do defensively. Like it was not hard to figure out what they were going to do. They were going to set the edges. They were going to do it with Chris Jones on one side and Karlofidis and some help on the other, which is exactly what they did. And they kept switching sides so that the 49ers couldn't get a read on it. So the 49ers decided they weren't going to run the ball to the inside, which was the thing they were going to have to do. They realized their shortcoming in their offense. And look, I know that you like him and a lot of other people like him, but the shortcoming to the offense was, in the end, Brock Purdy can't win the game. He's got great pieces, and there's some things there. And he didn't play terrible by any means. Started hot. I thought he played pretty well, but he didn't play. And you get to a Super Bowl, and you count on your offense to run the ball the way they do. That quarterback's got to then go make plays if they're not running the football. And he's just not capable. Their offense is not capable of doing it that way because they've never asked him to do that. I'm not sure they can, that he can do it, but their offense has been set up in a way for them to not even know it. The three times they did try this year, they lost all three games. And you can say, well, Trent Williams was in those games and Debo wasn't in those games. That's legit. However, they didn't put Purdy in a position to be able to make a play when they needed it. They knew what the Chiefs were going to do. I think everyone knew it. I mean, if you know football, you know what the Chiefs are going to come in and do defensively. And they did it. And they did it their way. And look, they held them to 19 points in four quarters. Then on the offensive side or the defensive side, they played as well as you could against Patrick Mahomes. They really did. They forced a couple turnovers. They forced Mahomes into a terrible interception, which should have ended the game. Honestly, that game should have ended when Patrick Mahomes took the interception and the, and the 40 yards at the ball at the 40. They should have been able to go 40 yards, score a touchdown, be up 14, and, be, and basically be done because you run a game and control the clock. Right. And they didn't score and had to punt. Um, I'm sitting there doubling down on my bets. They're like, the Chiefs are going to win this, guys. It's over. It, it, this is over. There's no point from there that I go, the Chiefs were not going to win this game. Uh, and because, not just because they had the better quarterback, but on the 49ers side, they didn't adjust on their offense at all. The defense played as well as you can expect. Both defenses did. So I can't give the 49ers defensive scheme any issues. They held Mahomes to 19 points in four quarters. And then one drive with a touchdown in the overtime. But you hold him, you hold him to 19 points, you got to win the game. Play it simple. So speaking of the defense, in this case. That takes us to a good spot with Steve Wilkes getting fired. Let's yeah. Go back to that overtime draw, the final drive with Patrick Mahomes, and the Niners defense is showing cover zero. Yeah. That they are going to send the house. And Shanahan immediately calls timeout and tells Wilkes, we're not doing this. And doesn't like what he's seeing, doesn't like that call from Steve Wilkes. Um, and you go back to 
the Vikings game earlier this year that they lost the Vikings, Wilkes sends the house, they lose that game, and Wilkes is the fall guy for that situation. And, and I'm thinking here, Bo, twofold as far as firing Steve Wilkes goes. Steve Wilkes wasn't why you lost. I mean, he, he coached – the defense played good enough to win that football game. You, you held Patrick Mahomes to 19 points in regulation. Um, but two, like, don't you know what you signed up for in Steve Wilkes? Like, this yeah. is a guy that has always been very blitz-heavy his entire coaching career. That's what he does is he sends the house. Like, that's his bread and butter. That's his M.O. And mm -hmm. the flip side, too. You hired the defensive coordinator from the worst team in the NFL last year, the Carolina Panthers. Like, what 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 do you expect? Like, I mean, Steve's a good coach, but it's not like you picked out the best coach to begin with last year, anyway. So, I mean, like, I mean, you got to make your you got to sleep in the bed you made, right? With with, with the Steve. Yeah, I I look at it a couple ways. One, those are the kind of things that the head coach and the defensive coordinator should have long since talked about. Yeah. You know, you're sitting there and you're preparing for the Super Bowl. You got two weeks to prepare for this. One of those has to be, okay, we well, Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback against you. You got to have a, a plan. Okay. They're driving. It's inside the 10. It's third down. Here we got to play. What are you going to do? And he says, we're going to go cover zero. We're going to bring it. And if you're the head coach and you don't like it, you tell him, no, we're not doing that. No, let's come up with a better plan. Here's what I don't like. He's going to beat us, that kind of thing. I think it's everybody clear. knew Wilkes was getting fired immediately when that timeout it, was called. It's very clear that where Kyle Shanahan's shortcomings are as a head coach are planning the overall picture of a game. He is too busy being the offensive coordinator. He has a run game coordinator and he has a receivers coach and a QB coach. He does not have an offensive coordinator. Yet he doesn't have a clue what his defensive coordinator wants to do in a key third down situation, something you would have long since talked about in a coordinator's meeting. The head coach of a football team, I guarantee goddamn T Andy Reid did this, would have sat down with a list of 50 scenarios. And that's that's what's on the Waffle House menu, guys. That's what the backside of the Waffle House menu is. It's the scenarios. And you've got his play card, and then the flip side is those. And he's got a copy. They got one in the booth, and his DC's got one on the field. And you've got, we are sitting down, and we're going through these scenarios as a team. You're going through it with your head coach, your offensive and defensive coordinators together. Because I guarantee if there's an offensive coordinator, he wouldn't like the idea either of attacking Patrick Mahomes. But we don't have, they don't have an offensive coordinator. Kyle Shanahan's too caught up in the minutia of his offense. What is he going to call him third and two in the third quarter? And what adjustment he's not really going to make. He's too caught up in that to understand how to run a, a full team in a full game. And that's his shortcoming. Those are conversations, just like the overtime piece. Look, I do not disagree with the idea of taking the ball. But if I'm taking the ball, one, I guarantee that Kyle Shanahan had no fucking clue what the rules were. He made up the bullshit excuse when he got to the, he made that excuse up when he got up to the goddamn uh, press conference. 
Now, the idea of getting the ball third, that is the idea that I told you on Sunday night. I like that idea because if it gets to sudden death, I want the ball first. However, if I'm taking the ball against a high-powered offense who's already scored once in the fourth quarter to come back on me, I've got to get a touchdown. And defensively, I've got to attack. So the whole thing has to be, we're going super aggressive. We cannot let them score the touchdown. We got to get it and do not let them get in the end zone, period. But if you're going to make that decision to take the ball, you have to then subsequently play that way. And the 49ers didn't do it. The 49ers should have never settled for a field goal. They should have gone for it on fourth down. And even if you don't get it, you make Mahomes go the full length of the field. But their play called shit. It was run, run, go to the, try to drive the ball down. There was no clock to worry about right. because you're playing two quarters, not one. So it wasn't even like a 10-minute overtime where you could try to try to drive the ball for seven or eight minutes to lead them a short not only a long field, but a short clock. You couldn't do that. Right. These are all things the head coach has to plan. He didn't, and he clearly didn't. To me, Kyle Shanahan should fire Kyle Shanahan and either become the offensive coordinator or go get an offensive and defensive coordinator and go be the head coach and learn how to be a head coach. It, it reminds me of, ironically enough, Andy Reid on the opposite side. Andy, in his early years, a lot of success, didn't have an elite quarterback, stood in his own way, didn't manage the game well, got to Kansas City, started to delegate more, handed over play-calling duties to Matt Nagy initially in the Alex Smith run of things, and, and became much more organized and a better head coach as a result. I think Kyle Shanahan, I agree with you, he is a bit overrated, but he's still one of the best coaches in this league. He, he's got to delegate a bit he's he's got to defer things to others and let them take control and do their jobs i'll take a little bit of i don't think he's one of the best head coaches in the league i absolutely disagree with that i think he's one of the best offensive minds in the league i don't think there's any denying that whatsoever but the management of the game he's horrible now i agree that you look back at andy reed with the eagles and a big knock on him was clock management. And he didn't have an elite quarterback, but he had a really good one with Donovan McNabb. And for a long time. And a guy that if Donovan, if they closed one out, Donovan McNabb's in the Hall of Fame. If they'd have closed just one and got all the way, they didn't. Um, but I do look at it, and the, the, the thing that Andy Reid did in Philly was he had, he had Jim Johnson as his defensive coordinator, and he was the offensive mind. He came from the 49ers. And that whole Walsh and the the Bill Walsh tree there, and so he was thought of as his offensive mind, which he is. And you go, okay, he played the he did the D he did the offense. Jim Johnson did the defense, and we'll figure out the middle in the middle. When Andy Reid got to Kansas City, he brought in some people like Matt Nagy, like who I'm not as big a fan of, but I he's a he's a good offensive mind. Bob Sutton, like Eric the enemy, and he brought these guys together and said. Let's put this all together. He does have Mahomes and not Donovan McNabb. It's a big difference. 
but his Jim Johnson is Steve Spagnuolo. Yeah. Who was also a head coach, wasn't a successful one, but was a head coach and understands he took that head coaching experience, the Rams, and that made him a better coordinator. Yeah. He understood the bigger pieces of the puzzle and why you don't blitz sometimes when you need to, or you, you, he understood he, the timing of his blitzes this year have been great. Right. This has been his best years of I've ever seen. Um, but I look at it and go, man, this, this guy knows what he's doing. And Andy Reid matured. Kyle Shanahan should mature. But the first thing Kyle Shanahan needs to do is hire an offensive coordinator. Yeah. Even if Kyle Shanahan remains the play caller or has a say in play calling, the best thing he can do is have someone else coordinate the offense someone courted the defense, and then he brings them together for a full plan as a head coach. His father, Kyle Shanahan's father, had to learn that lesson too. And it wasn't until he got to Denver that he learned that lesson. He wasn't the offensive play caller. He wasn't the genius. Right. If you know about Mike Shanahan. And when you can do that, when you can humble yourself in that way and say, hey, someone else can do this. I got to delegate that. That's what you do as a head coach. You're the administrator. Yeah. In the end, all decisions do go through you. You don't like a play call. You're going to talk, but you're not going to talk about Sunday with three minutes to go in the game. That play call that you don't like, that happens on Friday, on Thursday, on yeah. Saturday evening when you're making the play card. That's what really happens. And that's what Kyle Shanahan has not been good at. That's why he's now lost two Super Bowls. Yeah. Um, let's get to some other uh, NFL headlines here. Uh, Hassan Reddick, uh, all-pro edge rusher with Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, there was reports that came out Sunday afternoon that he had requested, been given permission, uh, he and his agent, to go seek a trade, that he and the Eagles weren't going to come to terms on a – Contract extension. He then has come out since and said, I never requested a trade. What are we talking about here? Um, Both, I tend to believe where there's smoke, there's fire. Like, he, he he may not want to admit that and say that he wants to be in Philly and all this, but I imagine the guy still wants to get paid. I, I would think that if somebody wants to make a trade for Hassan Reddick, if they want to give Philly a nice offer, that, that, that Philly will, will certainly listen right now. Yeah, it sounds like someone in his agent. Sounds like his agent must have said something. You know, hey, let's get him traded. Tell talking to the Eagles, you're not going to give him an extension offer now. Why don't you just let us go look for a trade? And that probably wasn't what Stan Reddick wanted. Sounds like it's some agent talking to me, is what it really is. And maybe Reddick saying, Hey, I didn't ask for a trade. But he's not throwing his agent under the bus side. So that, that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like to me that they were talking about the extension. And it's not working. You know, there's, he's got one year left on a three-year deal from what I just read. It's like, okay. Um, I think in the end, we're at that time, we're at the time of year where these kind of stories get out. They're just a story. It's just a thing. It'll be okay in a week, two weeks, a month. This will all get taken care of. If he signs a new deal, get washed up in three weeks. If he signs a new deal with Philly, we'll forget like all this ever happened. <laughs> Yeah, we get to March 1st, the first time that the cap has got to be squared, then you'll start seeing some things. But in t- between now, you know, the middle of the month 
and the end of the month, we're going to hear some wild shit from everywhere, from every direction. And we're also going to hear it because now we got a draft in two months and no one's going to want to play their hand out on who they want to draft or what they're looking at. So I would say take about half of what you hear as just talk and the other half, there's some smoke. But until you see a finalized deal, don't even worry about it, especially with the draft stuff coming up. Yeah, we'll talk some more draft stuff next week. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tease that for next week. But as far as Hassan Ryder goes, if he does leave Philly, is there anyone that jumps out to you that's an obvious fit that, that he could be a, a, a good good fit for somebody? Um, kind of thinking here. Um, Cincinnati could probably use someone on the opposite side of Trey Hendrickson. Um, trying to think of the better teams in the league and trying to think of those who could use another defensive hand and then have a, a way to do this. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised also if we see the Chargers make some deals for veteran players um, just to kind of stock some things in the cupboard for Jim Harbaugh. They're kind um, of in salary cap pretty, hell right now. Yeah, they're, but they, they you can figure things out if you have to, especially with a quarterback like Herbert. You can figure out, you can give him an extension and open that thing up for five more years and push bonuses out that far and that kind of stuff. There's things you can do, and, and that piece wouldn't hurt them. But I'm just trying to think out loud things like that. Um, you know, Baltimore's got a couple things they got to worry about in their defense, pieces like Patrick Queen and uh, Jadavion Clowney and, you know, Matt BK. Yeah, one, yeah. You could think about those kind of things. This could be a replacement for a player in that situation. Um, yeah, I just I don't know exactly where he would go. I'm sure that he's going to have no shortage of suitors. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and then one more NFL note I want to get to uh, this week. Uh, Mike Zimmer hired as the Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator. They thought about Rex Ryan. Ultimately, they settle on uh, Mike Zimmer. What do you think of uh, the decision to uh, replace Dan Quinn with uh, Mike Zimmer? Here is this or is Cowboys defense going to miss much of a beat? Um, well, he's a great coach. He's a great defensive coach. Um, Dan Quinn's a better defensive coach, but Mike Zimmer's really good. Um, Mike Zimmer got kind of painted with the brush because he was the head coach of the Vikings and they weren't, they weren't great. Um, but I think the Rex Ryan thing would have been very jury, jury Jones like to bring in a guy that that just would not have been good for anybody. It'd been fun to watch. Um, but this is more of a move that gives Mike McCarthy some stability. Rex Ryan going in there would have just blown Mike McCarthy up because you can't have that oil and vinegar, that oil and water mix. I just that would not have worked at all. Um, but I would have loved, boy, I would have loved to have seen it. Um, but I think that the big one, I think that this is a good, I think it's a good hire for the Cowboys. Um, they'll do some interesting stuff. They got a lot of defensive pieces. He's got a lot of toys to play with in the, in the, in the toy box. Zimmer's a really good defensive mind and uh, took a took a year away from football, like two years away from football. And I think that it's either a really good thing or a really bad thing. It depends on if you've stayed involved with the, with, the, with the game at all. You could come in with some new ideas. And if you don't fall behind on what's actually going on, obviously – he gets to study with that Cowboys team has done the last couple of years, and they've really been kind of on the cutting edge of some things as well. So I don't think it hurts the Cowboys. I don't think it's a huge drop-off. 
Um, but the selfish, like, want to watch the world burn part of me, Rex Ryan to the Cowboys would have been like watching the world burn. Like, that would have been great. Yeah, and the fact that it sounds like it was just a contract situation that Rex wanted three years, the Cowboys only wanted to give him two. I mean, yeah. you're the Cowboys, like, figure it out. Yeah, and we want to see this, but we, I would have loved to have seen it and have hard knocks there. That would have been great. I would have bought, I would have been like, I wanted in my car. I'll give you two years. I'll, Jerry, I'll take two, but we got to bring in hard knocks for the first one. <laughs> right. Um, let's uh, let's move to the college football side of things. Uh <laughs> shocking news, Chip Kelly leaves UCLA. That's not the shocking part. It's what he left for to be Ohio State's offensive coordinator. We we know that he had been talking to some NFL OC jobs for a couple of weeks. His name came up in Washington. His name came up in Seattle. But ultimately, they went different directions with those uh, hires uh, at the, those places. I think his name even came up in Vegas at one point. Um, but going to Ohio State, in the league that he was already about to be in, and then we hear Michael Lombardi come out and say, well, it turns out, he actually interviewed for the University of Cincinnati head coach job last year. This man wanted out of UCLA so bad. Bo, before we get to the Ohio State into things, because that's fascinating too, UCLA, they got some massive problems right now. Like Chip, Chip Kelly doesn't want to be there. Um, they got some NIL issues. We we, we know that. I mean, that's just new head, a shell of its new form head. itself. So this is this is another Sean Foster is a new head coach. He's a former running back there and an, an alum. Um, I heard today uh, that Chip Kelly's been interviewing so much for other jobs. This is how you uh, the, the thing I heard was this is how you get fired from a job. You go interview everywhere else and don't do your job for a while. They only have one committed recruit for their 2025 class. To give you an idea, every other team in the Big in the Big Ten has eleven or more, except for them and Indiana, who has three. Um, so obviously, he's not even up to try to recruit to help his current team. He's going somewhere. Um, what it says is one: UCLA is way behind. It, it's you would think that a place that has that much money and got into the Big Ten. You would think they would have some NIL stuff. You would think that, that would be, you would think that UCLA would almost be a team that is so committed that would commit to being on the cutting edge of something like that. Their crosstown rival at USC is. But why isn't UCLA? Um, in college football, if you're in the Big Ten, the SEC, or the Big 12, and you're expected to be very, very good. Your, your expectations to finish near the top, you've got to have that now. Yeah. I think this is a bigger piece of where NIL is taking college football. And it's not just Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly is now going to be an offensive coordinator at Ohio State, the place where Ohio State has committed the NIL so hard. Their motto is, we just don't want to ever lose a game again. They're like Shorzy. I'm never going to lose another game. If you know, you know. You ever seen Shorzy? Mm-hmm. I'll have to get you, get you on Shorzy. Okay. Um, but anyway, that went right over your head. Um, they never want to lose again. They go get Chip Kelly's an offensive coordinator. They went and got uh, their defense coordinator, who's um, um, Wayne Martindale. 
I mean, we got NHL That's Michigan. Guys. That's Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Jim Knowles, yeah, Jim Knowles yeah. is their DC, former Oklahoma yeah. I'm sorry. It's very good, too. But it's, yeah, but so it's, it's, it's what it is to me is it tells me the NIL is changing coaching. And it's not just in football, we're sitting in basketball, too. We're talking about this. This is the subject of my podcast this week, this weekend. We are going to talk a lot about NIL and how it's going to affect coaching moving forward. We've seen Chip Kelly now gone. Boston College coach leaves Boston College to go be an offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Now, they went and get um, uh, Bill O'Brien to be their head coach when he was going to be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. Right. But it's just another idea of these are big-name guys who really should either be offensive coordinators in the NFL or head coaches in the NFL. Or they go back to a college and they're a college, they're at a smaller college, and that's just like the retirement gig. Uh, but what we're seeing is Chip Kelly wants to go win again. Right. And he doesn't want the pressure of being the head coach at an institution where he feels he has a disadvantage. Yeah. And so now he's like, well, I'll go do what I do. He's an offensive genius. Um, you know, going back to when I was on your radio show, I can remember you and I talking about Chip Kelly, and I said, look. That offense one day is going to work in the NFL. Parts of it already are. Right. And what he'll see at Ohio State is he can go run 100 offensive plays like he wants to because that defense will be good too. Right. And so that's going to be a good fit there. Um, but it's it's more of a thing about what's going on with NIL and coaching. It's why people like Nick Saban have retired. It's why um, Jay Wright retired in basketball a couple of years ago. We're going to see this more and more with some of these old school coaches. And we're going to see it with, and I'm not going to mention names now. I'll go to my podcast this weekend, Coach Bono's podcast. I'm going to talk about a few people. I'm going to bring up a couple of names too. And I'm going to say, look for these guys to retire or go to the NFL or go be an offensive coordinator or in basketball, want to go to the NBA because they're no longer coaching a sport as the head coach. They're instead administrating dollars and cents. Right. And that's not what they signed up for. It's not what Chip Kelly wants to be. And it's not like the NFL where it's regulated and specific rules to follow and all this. It's the Wild West. It's much more harder to reel in and organize. When, when it comes to Ohio State, so Bill O'Brien leaves him, goes and takes the Boston College job. And, I mean, I guess if you want to go be a head coach, that's, that's one of he's, the ones. He's from Boston. He's... To him, that's a, a good deal. That's yeah. one of those things, like I was saying, how some and guys it's, are it's low expectations. Slow yeah. expectations, one of the worst power five jobs if he wins eight games. He's never going to get fired from that job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He'll have that job until he wants Bloody to leave for something better. Yeah. But as far as Ohio State goes, you mentioned what they're spending in NIL. They were awesome in the portal this year, high school recruiting and all that. Pressure is on, you know, coming off Michigan winning the national championship and everything here. Uh, Will Howard's coming in at quarterback. Uh, they did a really good job replacing all that they lost, even with Marvin Harrison Jr. and some of the guys coming back. This Ohio State team, uh, I, I, I think they're going to have a great chance to make some noise this year right away. I, I think they upgraded from Bill Bryan to, to Chip Kelly here. I think so, too. I think that – what you would have had with Bill O'Brien is it would have helped someone like a Will Howard to the next level. Yeah. I mean, you get, and I don't know that Will Howard would be a, an NFL guy. I don't know how good he actually is when it comes to that. Actually, McKay State last couple of years, I don't tend to think he will be. But you get the right recruit 
then Bill O'Brien could help you become a really good NFL quarterback. Chip Kelly is going to run a system where every athlete's going to get the ball. They're going to take athletic quarterbacks. They're going to run a whole bunch of motion. Running backs are going to get the ball. Wide receivers are going to get the ball. The best athletes on the field are going to get the ball. They're going to get it in spaces. And they're going to want to run a lot of plays. What Chip Kelly's idea of offense is, is instead of running 60 or 65 plays offensively, he wants to run 100. He wants to run the ball. He wants to go, go, go. You can't do that a lot if you don't have a defense to fall back on. Ryan Day must like the idea of let's go score a shitload of points and our defense will be good enough to keep us in these games. It puts pressure on offenses. And you look at like what a Michigan just did. Michigan wasn't this juggernaut offense. They were juggernaut running the ball, but they didn't go and beat you by, they didn't go and beat good teams with 40 points or even 30 points. Um, the championship game aside, they beat you 21 to 14, 21 to 7 against a good team. They'll blow out the bad teams, but you're going to blow out the bad teams no matter who you are at that top level. What this is going to do is it's going to put Ohio State at a level where it's going to be okay, not only can we go ahead and slug it with Michigan, but when we get in the playoff and we know we're getting in the playoff, which is 12 teams now, Ohio State's in the playoff now. Now, we got to battle. We got to battle Georgia, Alabama, or any of these high uh, high tech offenses that can come in here. We'll stay with all of them. We'll, we'll score forty with you as well, and make it come down to a couple of plays. I think for Ohio State, it's a it's a it's a great. My question becomes: How long does Chip Kelly not want? Does he does his idea of wanting to show how great his offense is going to keep him happy? Or will he get to a point where he wants to go to be the head coach again somewhere else? Or maybe he wants to go to the next level as an offensive coordinator and say, I'll take this offense over here and go to um, Chip Kelly running the Atlanta Falcons th this next season. If they had an athletic quarterback, it would be a fun to watch, even though I hate the Falcons. It, it does feel like he – settled yeah. for this job after being yeah. turned down on these NFL jobs. I think so. And I think that he's looking at it going, okay, if I can be the great, be the great offensive mind, I know I am the NFL will come calling, but I can't do that at, at UCLA. Right. Yeah, we're going to see more of these coaches leave positions in college to go be offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators in the NFL, because that's also the way to become a head coach. Right. In the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one more college note uh, for you. The college football playoff uh, front office sports reporting this week that the TV contract, they will stay with ESPN, signing a six-year extension uh, in this new 12-team playoff that will include the first-round games on ESPN. Has not been announced yet, all the details, but... ESPN going to continue to hold the rights. What will be different is that they'll they will have the option to sublease uh, playoff games to other networks if they so choose. So you could still have potentially a first round game or another game here or there on like a Fox or maybe an Apple TV or or 
NBC, whatever it may be, if ESPN wants to do that. Um, Bo, the, the thing about this, though, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. What doesn't change no matter what, even if ESPN brings in these other networks, ESPN is inserting their dominance. They're still going to be the ones in control. They're going to pick and choose who they want to be potentially involved in this. And quite frankly, they don't even have to get anybody else involved if they don't want to. Like, this is uh, a fascinating situation. We talk about the power struggle of the SEC being the ESPN conference, the Big Ten being the Fox conference. ESPN is saying, this is still our sport. Yeah, ESPN has a monopoly on any sport they want to have a monopoly on. And I think they want to dominate college football. They can't dominate the NFL. The NFL is too big, and they work so well with their partners across the board. They do They dominate college basketball. They dominate college football. And because those are so regional as well, and the followings are so regional, it makes a lot of sense for ESPN to put extra money toward that and to be the boss of college sports in America. Because whether you are in Kansas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, um, or, or California, you've got a local school. You've got a local team you follow. And that regional piece to it is a big deal. With the college football playoff, it's huge business. ESPN being able to dominate that to say, hey, you've got to come to us to come see it. Whether that gets to ESPN Plus for some of those games or not, or you know where are you going to find them online? There's a new thing they've got set up coming out now with, um, with partnered with Fox and with Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, we won't see that roll out for a little while, I don't think, but it'll be interesting because, yeah, it comes down to ESPN has this marketplace dominated in, in sports, and they've just said we're not letting anyone get a piece of the college sports and take that away from us. I yeah. think ESPN was hurt by what happened with the Big Ten contract. Yes. That Fox and NBC went in together and they went and they kind of CBS. And, yeah. and I think that really put um, ESPN a little bit of in a bucket and said, Oh my God. Okay. They're all coming together to try to fight us on the Big Ten. And it wasn't a money there. issue. It wasn't a money issue for ESPN. They got boxed out, said that we don't want you here. Yeah. Well, and they and I think the Big Ten looks at it as they don't think that I think that a lot of people in certain parts of the country also look at ESPN as the when it comes to college sports as they push the South, they push the Southeast because of the SEC and their relationship with them over the years. They right. have the long-term thing with the ACC and now the Big 12. So you have those things and you go, okay, and then the West, the far West Coast stuff you see late at night. Well, it's pushed out those Big 10 pieces. Big 10 sports has never, has not been the centerpiece of, NBA, of ABC or ESPN's coverage for quite some time. And I think that's what and that in the money is what pushed into the going to this deal with CBS, Fox, and um and NBC. I think this is uh ESPN asserting its dominance again and saying, look, we're gonna dominate this. We had they were the only one who had the exclusive window to negotiate this. They closed it 
which is good for them because had they not closed it, this goes out. All the other companies, the NBC, the you know, the NBC and with uh with Peacock and Fox and these, they're they're not gonna pay that much money for it. It was gonna be Apple, it was gonna be Amazon who come in and put the big money up. This is ESPN asserting the dominance. And before these things get to the point where Amazon can go bid on it for Prime, they're saying, let us get it. They saw what Amazon did with Thursday nights with football, and they went, oh, shit. Well, apparently Fox was ready to bid for the entire thing with a massive bid. They wanted it completely. Um, But to close it before it went to market, uh, was was brilliant negotiated in their part did not let this get out there and and even risk the potential of losing the college football playoff because you look at ESPN in that cable model um you know you get so many NFL games that they simulcast on ABC now that the college football playoff is crucial to the business of what ESPN the cable channel is i mean people may forget but the college football playoff this year wasn't on ABC. It wasn't on ESPN+. Plus. You could only watch it on cable. It's it's crucial to the cable-specific product. Yeah, they had the uh, other casts, you know, on ESPN. Some of those are on ESPN+, Plus and then ESPN2. No, 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 no. There was nothing, period, on ESPN+. Plus. Are you sure not even the local things they did nothing. were that on there? They did some stuff on, like, ESPN3, but nothing. Okay. Everything required a cable subscription. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of how, yeah, we got that moving forward. And then we have this new thing where you're going to be able to get it. And if you're someone like me who has Hulu, you can get all the ESPN channels. So right. That's, we, we, like, that's, the, that's the, look, those who haven't cut the cord yet, here's the game. I'm going to hip you out to the game right now. You want to save money on cable stuff. You don't want to pay the cable guy anymore. Get the Hulu Live, add the ESPN Disney bundles. You're golden. Yeah. You can add one of the other ones like Peacock if you want or something like that. We haven't had to worry about it yet. So yeah. that's where you're at. I mean, it's you're going to add some of those stuff anyway. Most people are going to get one or two of them anyway, but that's the one to get. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's fascinating, and yeah, it is fascinating. You and I are both nerds when it comes to to the but, sports business, stuff. especially it's, like let's say that they do sublease. You know, and, and I can't imagine they would sublease a ton of it. You know, they 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 want as much of it to keep themselves. But if they decide to, what a power move it's going to be of Fox begging on their hands and knees or NBC, please, please give us one game. Give us one game. It won't be NBC and it won't be CBS. They won't let either of them have it. It'll be Fox or or, or Warner Brothers Discovery, Turner. It'll be one of those because they're partners in the new streaming service. It will never be those other two. Because they decided they want to be a part of it. They didn't yeah. want to be part of it. And okay, we're not gonna let you put it on Peacock. Okay. We're not gonna let you put it on um with a Paramount Plus. Right. No, we're not gonna help you with those services. You know, it, I they would sooner put it on Disney Plus than put it on Paramount Plus or Peacock. Yeah. They would sooner let Amazon buy some of those games. Yeah. Than those two, I bet. Yeah, maybe so. Bo, uh, what's coming on the podcast here? 
Well, we did a podcast a couple of days where you were kind of to come on Monday, talk about the um, the Super Bowl, all angles. We had you come on. We talked about the game itself and the Chiefs side. Uncle Rico came in. He's been following the 49ers all year. Talk about the 49ers and kind of what's next on both sides. Uh, but coming up this week, we're this weekend, we're going to have a new one all about the NIL stuff we've been talking about and its effect on coaching. Um, a lot of that, this is going to be kind of a, instead of like what's new and happening, it's going to be more about what's the bigger picture of this and really focusing on college football and college basketball with that. We've seen so many of these coaching changes, and I think a lot of it has to come up with that. And then I think what I'm going to make a, a couple of predictions of the next round of coaches that either go to the NBA or retire. And I've got two or three in mind that I think it's now sooner than later. All right. Looking forward to it. Bo, uh, appreciate the time as always, my friend. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. We'll see you next week. Take care. Final segment before we go. It's our top four story of the week. Tom Bridges standing by with something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, where are we going to this time? Jones, we're going to uh, the Volunteer State. We are going to Tennessee. Uh, about this time last year, actually, I was in Nashville. Oh, I and- love Nashville. Tom, Tom uh, I know Valentine's Day's over, but you're the only ten I see. Ah, there you go. That's that's pretty clever for for this time of the year and around this day. You know, <laughs> I was in Tennessee this time last year, and uh, you know, I drink lots of cold beer, and I drink lots of liquor that weekend. And Jones was—I mean, no, no, liquor wasn't cold, but you don't keep the—you don't keep liquor cold usually. Some people do. It's if it's fireball, sure. But Jones, this is coming from the. Uh, this is coming from. This is coming from. Uh, Tennessee, and um, they're wanting to, uh, again, ban something. I'm sick and tired of the bans of just anything. I'm done banning anything. Anything we're a, that we're a pro freedom show around here, right? And and I'm looking at this article right now, and I'm like, take these two representatives who proposed this bill and throw them in the trash. Um, this this comes from Fox 13, Memphis, Tennessee. Bill would keep cold beer from being sold at gas stations. Why? Why? Like. You know, in Texas, Jones, we can't we can't buy liquor. The liquor stores are closed on Sundays. This is supposedly a state that enjoys their freedom the most. You can't even buy liquor on Sundays. Weed is li- illegal here. Uh, you know, and but I'll be damned if Texas takes away cold beer. Tennessee's trying to do that here. Memphis, Tennessee, could the state of Tennessee ban cold beer at gas stations? and convenience stores across the state. That's a concern gas station owners have after a bill banning cold beer sales was introduced last month by two Republican lawmakers. Jones, take them out and shoot them. Why would you, like, your tax, like, if you're living in Tennessee, your taxpayer money goes to these fucks that have nothing better to do than write a, a bill taking out cold beer. That's un-American. Right? There's nothing more American than cold beer. And then this guy, I guess, trying to justify it. On the cooler door here, you have four or five doors of single beers. 
people come and grab it, said Ruzman Shaw, gas station owner. If you walk into a gas station or convenience store in Memphis or across the state, you either find a beer cooler or single selections of cold beer, but that may change. Senator Paul Rose and Representative Ron Gant are sponsoring a bill prohibiting beer permits that allow selling refrigerated or cold beer across the state. I don't know why they're trying to do it. They look like they're trying to get out of business for us small stores. That will hurt big time if they take it out, said Shaw. Ruzman Shaw owns dozens of gas stations across Bluff City. Shaw said about 25% of sales come from cold beer. They shouldn't approve it because they need to consider the small mom and pop store owners. They're getting their business and if they're and they're trying to survive. If they do it or approve it, then a lot of stores will be shut down. The bill already passed two votes in the Senate and will be making its way to the committee. Jones, why? Like, I want a reason why. Like, do they just think, oh, if it's cold, then you can drink it in the car on the way home? Like... If that's the reason, I'm I'm sick and tired of these people trying to ban things that don't need to be banned. Like, you know, like okay, ban. How about how about banning the five day work week? How about you ban the fifth day of work? How about we go to four day work weeks? Like, you know, you hear about speaking of your home city, Broken Arrow, talking about going to four day school weeks. How about we ban a fifth day of work? Let's not right. ban cold beer. Why don't we work four 10-hour days? Yeah, let's ban a fifth day of work. Let's not ban cold beer. You know, like, I'm sick and tired of these bans on stuff. Like, how about we, you know, ban people bitching about other people trying to get a cold beer? How about we ban that? Um, you know, that's funny, too. Like, Tennessee's... Not even when I think of the Bible Belt, sure you could kind of say Tennessee, maybe a little bit, but I, I mean, they don't like you're talking a, a place that's known for Tennessee whiskey, like, and you're trying to ban cold beer. Like, if I can't go and pick up a cold six pack of Coronas or Modellos from the convenience store, then what is even America? It's a, it's a police state. Um, if you can't go in to quick trip and buy cold beer like absolutely not like i mean i'm sure there are probably some dry counties in tennessee i i, I guarantee there are i know there's some dry texas counties the uh the county that jack daniels is in is uh is a dry county and it's intentional to help the sales of the jack daniels distillery I mean, yeah, see, it's just, you know, political lobbying absolutely is. And, you know, here's the first comment on this on the on the Reddit, you know, was posted on Reddit. Have they thought about making drunk driving illegal? How about we put a ban on drunk driving, Jones? That, that if, nice. if, if, war, if warm beer, beer will stop them, think of what the law will do. Uh, like, I mean, that's obviously satire and it's funny, like, because having to drink warm beer will totally stop the kinds of people who drink road beers in the first place. What's I mean, going to be next from these brilliant minds? A law banning selling ice or dry ice and beer in the same transaction? And think about this too, Tom. So as a very experienced beer drinker like myself, somebody that does enjoy cold beer, um, I got to tell you, 
I cannot get drunk off of just drinking beer. If I'm getting buzzed, there's got to be something else involved. I got to usually have some liquor. Maybe it's a wine or, or something heavy. Like beer doesn't do it for me. If I drink beer, it, it's just being a casual drinker or something. It's not to get anything out of it. Like that, that to me doesn't solve your problem here. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, what's what's a if you pop in a couple zins, what's drinking a warm beer on top of that? Right? You know, you know, someone made another funny on these these things too, talking about Tennessee. And you know, Tennessee is kind of the southern state, kind of like they joke about Arkansas and Alabama and Mississippi. Somebody said, Wait, whoa, whoa. They said, We can't drink a warm beer, but I can still fuck my cousin, right? Someone said, <laughs> someone said only in Gatlinburg. Oh, that's good. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just like, come on. Like, what a stick in the mud. Like, if I was another, if I was a representative in the house in, in Tennessee, I would just go and say, why are you being a bitch? Like, why are you being a stick in the mud? You really took the time out of your day to write a, 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 a bill to ban cold beer, like like, oh, someone just said, this is just the influence of the Big Ice lobby. This this is Big Ice. This that's what that's big what ice. it is. It's Big Ice. They're they're proposing this. The ice cells aren't doing so good. The the uh, the twice the ice machine isn't kicking like it used to. Yeah, but it's it's Big Ice lobbyists. That's what it's doing. Someone also put on here. What about the good guys with a cold beer? The only <laughs> thing that, that the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a cold beer is a good guy with a cold beer. That's good. Uh, somebody else put this is this is another thing you mentioned the, you know the the Jack Daniels distillery. You know what doesn't need to be chilled hard liquor. Right, absolutely right. Like this seems uh, this this doesn't. The logic isn't making sense. Oh, well, you know, if the, the Coors Light's going to be warm, well, instead of Coors Light, I guess I'll just go ahead and get, uh, you know, a handle of Jack Daniels. And on top of that, too, like, they're still saying you can go get a cold beer at a bar or a restaurant or whatever. Like, I, I, if I want a cold beer, I'm going to find a way to get my damn cold beer, damn it. I mean, yeah, and... Someone also mentioned, like, the reason beer is kept refrigerated, keeping beer refrigerated will keep its flavor as the brewer intended for much longer. Keeping a beer at room temp can drop a beer's shelf life from nearly six months to only a few weeks, and exposing the same beer to very warm temperatures can affect its flavor in a matter of a couple of days. And that comes from science. Um, I mean, I can attest to this. There was... uh... At at Tom's old house in Bartlesville, where his parents still live, um, we we had a get together where I brought some Boulevard wheat. Didn't finish it. I came back to Tom's house probably a year later, and there was still leftover beer from that party. That a beer I brought had one of them. It still tasted just as good. It was in the old garage fridge. But if we had left that out in the summer heat, oh, it would have went. It would have went from a wheat beer to it would have went from a wheat beer to a wheat wine, and it would have oh, yeah. tasted like shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, there, there's nothing more American than cold beer. I mean, Tom, the the best way is to have a cold beer. Like, you know, when, when you're at the beach, um, you know, an airport beer. Personally, I love a shower beer. You have not lived until you've had a shower beer. We did. We did talk about this before. I, I like the 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 beer in the hotel before you go out that night. That's one of my favorite beers. The airport beer is really good too. Yeah. Uh, Jones, another comment on here. If this gets passed, I'll just open up a store in Tennessee that sells beer at room temperature where I just happen to really enjoy my air conditioning and keep the entire store at 40 degrees. <laughs> That's like we, we Jones, we almost did this before we getting back to prohibition. We already did this type of thing before, and it did not work. It did not um, work at all. They need to have, like, Stone Cold Steve Austin go into the House of Representatives and just throw a fit. Um, Smash the two beer cans together with the Austin 316 shirt on and just cause a, cause a mess. You know, there's no bigger hypocrites out there than than politicians i bet these guys that wrote this bill they they wrote it while they were sipping on cold beer they're like you know what i bet we can get the ice lobbyists to give us line our pockets if we if we like i just don't know what goes through their their heads like um like why this is not a good idea not at all I mean, this is, this makes no sense. Like, why would you, like, they, they actually think road beers are that big of a thing, I guess, in Tennessee. I haven't drinking, I don't know if I've, I'll be honest, I've done a lot of, of, uh, illegal things in my life. Uh, one thing I have not done is been on a public road with a beer in hand. I have not. I, I have not had an open container in my hand behind the wheel. Uh, now, I've, sure, I've obviously drinking a beer and then driven. Sure, we all have done that. But um, I've never had a roadie, actually. Not not as a, not as the driver. Wow. So I, it, it, what about it baffles it? me. It baffles me. They think that the roadies in Tennessee are that big of a problem. I think I've had one as a passenger in your own car. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I've I've drinking as a passenger all the time. I I mean, I'll fill up a, a quick trip cup full of ice and liquor and, and coke, and if I'm in the passenger seat, well, we're driving down the road. I'm absolutely. Um, I'm a I'm a hardcore believer in that. That's like a that should be in the Constitution that you as a passenger in a in a, in a private vehicle that you should be able to drink all you want. I'd put that in my Constitution. Um, but. You know, I just don't think the roadies are that big of a problem. I don't know, like what there's other there's other issues I'm sure in Tennessee that can be addressed in the time that it actually takes to like I feel like to like ride out a bill, it probably takes like it it takes a little bit. Like you have to format it, draft it up, put all the legality issues in it go and you have to go back into whatever caucus that you're in and that gets reviewed and the whole process i i did it for both this house and the senate as a page like there's a long process between sitting down writing out a bill and then it getting to the senate or house floor 
to be voted on. It is a process. Remember the remember the rock song about what is a bill? Yeah, I mean, I I got to see it in action. Like, I know how long it, it takes to do it. So these people are literally sitting there in their office wasting taxpayer money writing a bill that nobody even would vote yes on. Like, unless you're a hardcore fundy in Tennessee, like, you're not going to vote yes on this. I think an issue like this, bring it to a public vote. If it passes or if it doesn't pass, if, if they say, no, we want cold beer and it's higher than 60% no, that we will keep the cold beer, we're not going to vote no on warm beer, then if you if you bring that to public vote, you get thrown out of office if your bill is laughed at. Like, take them out back. Like, if you, if you propose the no cold beer v- bill in Texas, they'd probably take you out back like old Yeller and, and put you down. Yeah. Yeah, like, this is... This is something that I would expect, like the state of Utah, to bring up. I, I love the state of Tennessee. Uh, I got family there. Um, you know, I, I I go to Nashville every year. I, I've never been more disappointed in the state of Tennessee than this moment right here. I mean, yeah, I think. I mean, I might even, I might even have a, a you know, a, a wild hair. I might call the office of one of these guys tomorrow. Like, hey, this is just a. I don't even live in Tennessee, um, but I'm just calling to just kind of see what the thought process here was behind this bill. Yeah, yeah. I, and not to mention, too, like you look at their sports, Tom, like how could you be a Titans fan right now and that team not make you want to drink? Yeah, I mean, it gets hot in Tennessee, too. Like how about you bring this Matt? I mean – yeah, it's easy to bring this bill up in February. Wait till it gets until July and then start talking about banning cold beer. See what happens. I mean, you fired a great coach in Mike Vrabel, and now you want to take away cold beer from these poor people? That's that's miserable. I mean, yeah, you, you know, and, and you have, you know, Knoxville being the home of Rocky Top. You know, the Rocky Top, like cold as the Rockies. The mountains turn blue at Rocky Top. Not anymore. I mean, next next thing you know, like, here's the deal too, Jones. If I want a cold beer, I'll tell you what. If I go into a convenience store and I just mowed the lawn and I'm looking for cold beer and I really want a cold beer, I'll tell you what I'll do. And I'm not I'm not above this either. And I, some people look at, look at it as a, a modern-day sin to do something like this. I would not care. I'm not a, I'm not opposed to taking the cold, the warm beer off the shelf, filling up a 32 ounce styrofoam cup full of ice and pouring the beer over ice. I'll do it. You just got to drink it quick. That's the key. I mean, yeah, like if you just did that room temp beer on ice, you I mean, I'm not I'm not mess I'm not sipping on a beer for more than 10 minutes. I'll finish it. You know, I'm not a, I'm I'm not opposed to the loophole around it. I will I will absolutely do it. You know, you know what's funny too. There used to be this take liquor store. Used, this liquor store I used to go to in Bartlesville had this. Uh, so they would have they they had some fridge with craft beer in it, but they would have the champagne. Um, the champagne wasn't cold on the shelf, you know. But they had this really old school machine. 
I thought it was super cool. I'd love to have one. You put this water in it and it keeps the water and circulates the water. And you put the champagne bottle in the water for like five minutes. And it's like ice cold after that. Like it circulates the water around it. Maybe these convenience stores can do that where, okay, you buy a six pack, you can just sit it in there for five minutes. And then it's, it just is cold. Just as if it was in a fridge for an hour. Well, on that note, I think I'm going to go ahead and give me a cold beer now. Uh, I got some. Thank cold- God we live in Texas. Yes. God bless Texas. Uh, I got some PBR in my fridge that needs to be consumed right now. There you go. I will go have a cold PBR. Tom will have a nice cold beer, and we hope that you all can enjoy some nice cold beer too. Big thanks to Adam Alexander from uh, Fox Sports for joining us. And uh, always a pleasure anytime that Double A stops by the program. Uh, Coach Bo as well. And you, the listener, for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Jones Sport. New episodes out each and every week on uh, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Hit us up on social media on X, at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, studio underscore Soapbox. Uh, also on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox, and uh, also on Instagram, Jones underscore report, Tyler Jones Live, Instant Thomas, you can find us there. For Thomas Bridges, Coach Bo, Adam Alexander, our entire crew of Tyler Jones, thanks so long. It's been another edition of Jones World. We'll see you next week.